0: restaurant unstoppable episode 976 with anthony Valletta.
1: what we hired for even five years ago i have people interviewing with me asking what we stand for what we're doing for the environment what we're doing to give back to the communities which were always things that existed years ago but i don't think it was ever at the forefront and i think that bottom line focus the easy way to do it was just to 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 muscle it now you realize through your people and through your guests you know those two experiences drive the bottom line Are you ready for it It factors, success stories, failures,
0: and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Zinch. Restaurant tours and GMs, you know, unexpected expenses are
2: always around the corner, like broken equipment overhead during slow times and even ideas to improve your business and you know you need cash fast. That's why you need Zinch, a direct lender that makes financing fast and simple around your restaurant's needs. Zinch can fund up to $250,000
0: in less than two days. Just fill out a simple online application and provide a copy of your four most recent bank statements and you can even get an approval within 24 hours. And right now, my listeners can apply without fees. That's a $250 Go straight to FinancingThatWorks.com
2: today. Again, that's FinancingThatWorks.com. One more time, FinancingThatWorks.com.
0: Loans made or arranged pursuant to California finance lender's law license. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot
2: With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, president of Bar Taco, Anthony Valletta. Anthony, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? Like
1: a freight train, brother. Ready to go.
2: Yes, dude. <laughs> I'm super excited just to share your story. We had the founder of Bar Taco on the show, Andy Forsheimer. That's episode 829. If you want to go check that out to kind of hear the, the backstory of Bar Taco. Um But... I think you, you came on my radar by way of One Huddle. I think that yeah. you were in a conversation with them. They posted that I had Sam Cauchi on the show, yep. uh, the founder and CEO of One Huddle. I'm really interested in One Huddle as a company. I think what they're doing is super innovative, and I love companies that are like looking at human behavior and what we're learning about human behavior and incorporating that into technology. You're shaking your head. What's going through your mind as I'm saying? Yeah, this. it's
1: amazing. It's, it's the exact yeah. same thing. Like we, we introduced them from from a mentor of mine, Jeff Kakara, and had mentioned it and I started talking to these guys and I'm like, they've just nailed it. They figured out that piece, I mean, learning and development's always been, in my opinion, the most important part of our business is how do you train them, get them excited about something? Yeah. But this gamification and excitement in this social atmosphere, that's the wave of learning. That's the future of it. And these guys have just nailed it. Yeah. I'm really impressed. I'm super excited to
2: see where that company goes. I'm actually excited to say that they are going to be a Q2 sponsor. Pretty oh, excited nice. about that. So now I'm really curious. Oh, that's awesome. Company, obviously. Um, we just recently had Sam Cuyucci on the show. So if you guys did not catch that episode... I think it was like episode 970-something, recent, real yeah, recent. So go, go check that one out. Um, but let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or a mantra. What do you got for us?
1: Yeah, my favorite, uh, cowards never start, losers never finish, winners never stop. What's the difference between the, first, the second and third one there? So say it one more time for me. Yeah, so cowards never start. That one makes sense. Losers never finish. Okay. And winners never stop. So what's the difference between never finishing and never stopping? So to me, never finish is you, you start a project, and you might start something that seems innovative and seems great, but you never see it to the finish line. Yeah. So you might have a half-baked pie sitting all over the place, yeah. but it's never fully done. And even when you get there, there's no finish line it's for it. No waiters. completion. Right? Like you, the next finish line is the next one. You keep yeah. pushing forward. It's... It's that, you know, when you, right when you touch the bar, when your fingers hit it, you move the bar up just a little yeah, bit more, right? Yeah. Um, so to me, it's always been something I've kind of lived by.
2: Yeah, I love that, man. It's a great way to get this thing started. And you're kind of a, a unique interview. I, I, I think you might be the first president, official president title I've had on the show. But I like getting these different perspectives, especially when we start getting into, like, how many locations is Bar Taco now?
1: We're at 25. 25. going uh, uh, to be 26. How many were there when you came on? Uh, let's see. We've opened uh, four or five since I came on. Okay. Yeah. So,
2: I mean, I I like getting into these types of conversations with different business models, bigger business models, uh, the the touch points, the pain points that you experience as the president or even the CEO of a larger company that some of my other guests don't ever experience, like sure. scale and stuff like that, scale and culture. So. What exactly is a president,
1: though? Like in your <laughs> words, like how is a president
2: different from a, a co-president or a, a vice president or a CEO? Like what what is a president in bar taco terms?
1: You know, uh, I always to the expression. I think titles are cheap, right? And I always say it's a jack of all trades, master yeah. of none. Um, but for me, really, I mean, I've 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 seen these roles in many different places, and it's really just an extension of what the CEO's vision is, right? We've got an amazing CEO Scott Lawton was one of the original founders with Andy as well. Um, And he's got some amazing visionary, but he's going to be able to work on developing the brand and the real estate and the future of the company while someone is making that come to life in the restaurant. So the kind of joke that Scott and I has is he's like, he creates the train. I make him run on time. Okay.
2: So (laughs) does Bar Taco have a COO? Um,
1: we do currently right now. So uh, what's the
2: difference between a COO and a president? Then we're very unorthodox. Um, so our, our COO. Well, these are the
1: conversations that I don't get yeah. to
2: get with three or four unit operators. No, we're coming out of the gates with like
1: it's curiosity on my. It's plan. great. Like our, our COO has been a longtime CFO. Uh, many great companies with with Andy way back in the day in Barteca. Um, and had been in, in finance his whole life and wanted to be able to get in operations. Um, so he groomed a, a, our current now CEO or CFO, Levi Martin, um, and he jumped in the CEO world and he took on our tech innovation as kind of that perspective, took on our facilities perspective and was able to give some really good insight from a lot of past successes he's had okay, the just things he's seen operationally. Um, so we've kind of divided it up again. The title is one thing, what we do every day is another. And, and we believe in our company that even though you're a CFO or a COO or whatever it is, you wear every hat. Right. Yeah. We're all here to make sure that we run a great business. Our guests have a great time. Our staff's well taken care of. Whether you're yeah. a VP, <laughs> regional, whatever well, it is, doesn't it's, matter. It's funny because like I've always been
2: like insecure and like like anxious around titles because I don't I've always been confused as to what exactly you, what title means what yeah and the more i start asking people the more i'm starting to realize i don't think anybody really knows they like, don't know everyone's just and like, they're all oh, different we call you something you they're know? They're all different yeah <laughs> uh, so where does it make sense to start sharing your story because uh, you, you came on bar taco 2000 about uh, 18 months ago 18 months ago so yeah 2022 yeah um a little little little, little before more. okay september in the, of, in the yeah. middle of the pandemic yeah what was <laughs> happening before this
1: um for me or for bar Taco?
2: well for you like i want to find out behind every great restaurants great people so i want to focus yeah. on who you are how you got here what you learned along the way uh i mean looking at your profile um like what, what was the first like job where you're like this is my career this is my path this is what i want to do
1: yeah it's crazy i'm one of the nutty ones that like when i since i was super young i always want to be in restaurants um when i was like six years old my parents laughed at me because I would eat nothing. I was picky as all hell. And um, they're like I'm, like, I'm in the restaurant business. And I go, there's no chance. Um, you, you barely eat anything. And it doesn't make sense. And over time, I really just got the bug when I really started working. My first job was slinging pizzas at a, at a sports bar and how nice. it all starts, right? Washing dishes. And I got involved with uh, Joey Crignalli, who was the original um, founder of Bertucci's way back in the day, Northeast brand. Okay, And uh, he opened a new concept. Bertucci's or Bertucci's? Bertucci's.
2: Am I saying the same thing as you? Yeah. Okay. Bertucci. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah, I'm familiar with that. Um, and he opened a new concept called naked fish. It was a Cuban restaurant. Um, didn't have a long shelf life, unfortunately, but one was in my town and I got this bug. I worked in the kitchen and we were getting in fresh fish every day from all across the world. And And you're from Boston. I'm from Boston. Yeah. Um, and it was super cool. And I just was like, man, this is, this is what it's all about. It just every day I got excited and I really kind of rolled the sleeves up. I said, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, and went to school for it at, at Boston University. I went abroad and worked in London and studied nice. in London for a year. Um, just really trying to, to understand every aspect of the business. Now, did you always
2: want to be with a larger company? Or for you, did that, did that realization come over time?
1: I didn't know, honestly. Uh, yeah. It was funny. Like I, I knew I wanted to be in the restaurant space. Um, I knew, and it was funny, Andy, who was on your show previously, and I have talked about this. He's yeah. like... We found there's two kind of a people in restaurant business. There's those that create the restaurants and there's those that run the restaurants. Yeah. They don't tend to, you know, merge often very many times. Um, and I've been more of an operator in my career, um, but been a part of, of some creation as well, which is fun. Um, but I knew early on, I wanted to be able to allow my creativity to go free. I knew I didn't want something that was the same every day. Um, I just wanted to do something different. And when I was in college, I worked for what was called rare hospitality since been bought by Darden uh, since then. But, when I was getting ready to graduate, I was bartending at a Longhorn Steakhouse and then a sports bar in, in Boston and by Fenway, and my region was like, why don't you come interview with us? I was like, I don't know. It, just, it seemed like a job just to you know get beer money and pay rent. And um, I jumped in and was really impressed with the culture, and I, I jumped in with a big company, which I didn't know that was going to be out of the gates for me. So this big company, was this uh,
2: the managing partner at... Longhorn Steakhouse. Longhorn Steakhouse. Okay. Yeah.
1: Which is, uh, is that under?
2: northeast culinary leaders is that the same group or is this before and before that
1: so that was two in the same so darden. i was a northeast okay, culinary Western. lead yeah got it, got it, got and it. then uh it was a managing partner and, and helped open a few stores so i was it had seven openings for them um but i just i got the bug it was great so when did you graduate college oh uh so, <laughs> okay so you're in
2: school w- when you're with darden
1: yeah oh cool so yeah.
2: um and when, when i say darden restaurants you're working for was that That's Longhorn?
1: That was just Longhorn, yeah. At the time, it was called Rare Hospitality. So it was Capitol Grill, Bugaboo Creek, and Longhorn, and a few one-offs in Providence, Rhode Island.
2: And this gentleman is now in Florida, who's behind this, Tampa, Florida. Gene Lee. Gene?
1: Is it Gene? Gene Lee. Oh, he was. He was the CEO. I think he's since- Who was the founder? Is it Neil or Ned or something like that? Oh, um, He's a name yep. that keeps
2: Ned coming Grace? up. Ned Grace? Ned downstairs. Grace. Grace. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I want to get him on the show so yeah, bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure I could probably, context, draw, sure I can probably some strings, draw some lines Don't make there. any promises. <laughs> I don't get you in trouble. But uh, that's like the third time his name or his concepts have come up. And I know that he did a really amazing job. Yeah.
1: I'm sure there's amazing. a story in that.
2: So, okay. So you're with Longhorn. Yeah. Um, I mean- you were there for almost seven years, or yeah. were you with Darden
1: for seven years? Uh, I was with them for seven years. Darden didn't purchase. All with
2: Longhorn or different
1: concepts? All with Longhorn. Um, Darden didn't purchase us until my last six months. Um, so it was all rare at the time. Darden made the acquisition at that time. Um, I had a regular that I knew that that was in the tech space. And uh, he said, I always want to get into restaurants, but I didn't know anything about restaurants. And I said, Well, I always want to get my own restaurant, but I didn't have any money. So this yeah. is kind of a good partnership. Right. Um, And during the time of Darden taking over, you know, they're a great company. But to me, I wanted to try something different and see what I had learned. And I didn't, you know, Darden has, they've made all the mistakes, right? Those those basic mistakes of small groups they are making now their own mistakes at bigger levels, right? Like we all do. Yeah.
2: So when you joined Darden or when you joined Longhorn, it wasn't owned by Darden. It was not. Okay. So at what point in your tenure with them did that that transition happen?
1: My last six months. So six and a half years in. So I. So was it something that like, was it almost like, was it because
2: they were required you wanted to leave? Was that part of it?
1: Uh, it was part of it. Um, again, they do they do amazing work, so I'm not knocking anybody by any stretch of the means. But for me, it was too corporate. So, what was
2: Longhorns before this? Paint the picture of what Longhorns was before, because they have always been a corporate concept, or they have. Least, yeah.
1: yeah, I mean, we had we had. I mean, I forget. Got a couple hundred con- uh, locations at that point, so yeah. we we were a big brand. Yeah, um, but it still felt like a mom and pop. You still felt like a community restaurant. You the, the culture within there is that it wasn't just a number it was eric who runs the store in x town and it was a personal connection which i think that really rolled down right into how you took care of the guests and i think the brand everything was still done from scratch which nobody knew back in the day yeah everybody thought it was like all the other restaurants out there bag in the box right We yeah. weren't so well, I, was I know really multi
2: bakery had a piece of, of with, how to deal yeah. with longhorn so sure did. fish do and carabas yeah i almost worked for multigram Bakery. oh no kidding yeah the small world and um I mean, I think that's probably a story for another day. But it, <laughs> I mean, to me, what turned me away from that company was that I saw how many jobs it was taking away from craftspeople, yeah, like bakers and stuff. For sure, you know. And I was like, I don't want to be a part of this. Like, yeah. but Like, anyway, that's another. We'll just <laughs> talk about that later. Another time. Yeah. So I guess you started in the corporate world relatively early. Uh, I think I, I told you before we hit record that I, I haven't always. When I first started this podcast, I was I was almost anti-franchise, anti-corporate. Sure, I, I felt that the bigger business was the less soul that was involved, and that the the industry was void of a lot of soul at the time. Yeah, um, I'm saying this in hindsight. Yeah, you know, as I evolved, as I learned more, got new, different from perspective from larger corporations, I started to realize that you know, this isn't necessarily evil. <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> I started opening my eyes and seeing like we could learn a lot from these bigger organizations. Sure, and I mean, is any of this resonating with
1: you or, or like absolutely? So, what, which parts of it are? Listen, I think the same thing. I think I think corporate companies have had to evolve more. I yeah. think back in the day, it was a place that you just came and you, it was steady Eddie. You knew what to get. You knew what the managers were going to do. It didn't really need the soul because it was just a carbon footprint. And I think yeah. The workforce has changed immensely. I think the guest education has changed immensely. The point of where they actually care about those kind of things. And they I think this, is, this is
2: actually one of the things that I think has helped me pivot and evolve is that I know that these a lot of these companies have changed too, for sure. Where I think I think the generally speaking, uh, we were so focused on the bottom line and, and all these things, and it really became to the point of the better you were at managing the the bottom line that 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 could make or break your business. And I think that the larger combination companies. Figure this out. There's, these larger organizations figured this out, and it became all about that. Absolutely. Um, bottom line first, everything else second, including people. Yeah. Um, but what? When did this start to change from your perspective? As somebody who's been in it for a long time,
1: I think it's really been over the past decade. No, honestly, yeah. and I think it's been a slow roll, but I think it's becoming much more rapid now, especially with. I think COVID exacerbated it because you had so many people leave our industry. Yeah. For a million reasons, and mm-hmm. a lot of them went to tech space or their other ventures, but. We really had to kind of dig in and say, "Hey, what are we missing?" If a third of our workforce left, and and now it's back, right? The restaurant business is back, and you know, post COVID, thank yeah. God. And I
2: think it's still more challenging than it <clears throat> was. I mean, we're, we're absolutely we're competing with different markets now. So. Of course, yeah. but I
1: think that really just exemplified the need for it. But <clears throat> I think it's slowly changed. I think what what we hired for even five years ago, we're not hiring for today. I mean, I have I have people interviewing with me. Asking what we stand for, what we're doing for the environment, what we're doing to give back to the communities, which were always things that existed years ago, but I don't think it was ever at the forefront. And I think that bottom line focus—the easy way to do it was just to, to to muscle it. Now you realize through your people and through your guests, you know those two experiences drive the bottom line. Yeah. Yep.
2: yep. So big for change. sure, for sure. Um, I also noticed that these corporations are getting a little bit more away from scripted type of. Yes, is that true too, or is this like you? I feel like you know because you came up through that world. Yeah, what was the reason for that?
1: I think scripted. It was like it was almost we've made a bulletproof you know formula. Screen, yeah, formula. So yeah. why change it? And yeah. and people now read through it. I think guest comes in and realizes no matter if it's Eric or Anthony or or Jane Doe or whoever, what's well, the same thing. So is it really Eric that's waiting on you, yeah. or is it just the version that X restaurant wants Eric to be? I think people now, they care more about, I want to get to know Eric. I want to get to know Anthony. And I want it to be a really personalized experience. And you only get that by engaging. That's, yeah. We changed our model for that exact reason. It's like, it's about engagement. Every table's different too, right? Well, some don't want to be talked to. Some want to be, you know, just take their kids and go outside and make paper airplanes. And it's all different. And I think when you're too scripted, when you go off script, all of a sudden you start failing. You can't yeah. figure out why. It's because you're trying to, you're the, pinning the lines too tight. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. put up the guardrails, drive whatever lane you want. I used to be really embarrassed to admit this,
2: but the, you, you might have heard of the company Margaritas, which is yeah. in like Northeast. Like, when I was younger, when I was, it was before I was flying full time commercially, but I was working a full time desk job and I was looking for extra cash. Um, I, I went for a job at Margaritas and I failed the training because I couldn't get no on kidding. script yeah. i couldn't manage the script i'd always forget. I'd get i'd be so up in my head about am i saying this at the right time yeah you know like is it and like I'm, i've never been one to be good on script which is why the show is so free flooring too right. like and i just i couldn't get this i couldn't get the processes down because i'm that's, i've never done I, i'm a chaotic person you know i'm like
1: that's what restaurants are <laughs> yeah. restaurants are controlled chaos every yeah. day right yeah. and i think the best restaurants i've found especially ones you see today there, I mean, we are literally a melting pot of every type of business out there. You talk to managers, it's like they're from. They're, most of them aren't from restaurants, right? They're from something else. So you really want that to sing. If you want a diverse clientele and a diverse restaurant and something that's fun that everybody can engage with, you need a crowd that's that way. Mm-hmm. And when you try to make everybody sound the same, even though they look different, it, it, it's disingenuous. And I think at this point, guests want a really genuine experience. They want mm-hmm. to know they're going where they're truly appreciated, not just appreciated because the script says say thank you right now. Yeah. Say, as I you appreciate you. Yeah. It's yeah. like, <laughs> you know, it's 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 those simple things that you think the Chick-fil-A, my pleasure. Yeah. Right? They're scripted to an extent, but it's that one comment. It's like, this is at the heart and soul who we are, right? Well, it's weird because like it, it, language is important.
2: Absolutely. It's super important. Like, I had this great conversation with Mario Del Perro from Mendocino's Farm. He, and he, he said, look at any culture, not not like business culture, but like any like global culture. Right. Whether it's like Italy or France or... You, know, you name the country. There's usually a language associated and rituals associated with sure. it. Uh, but I think it's important to have some language because you want you want to be on brand, mm-hmm. right? Um, so an example of the language I think they, they use that's standard no matter what is the first person that walks in they say first guest, last guest, or something along this line. Interesting. Yeah, and it's the and but the last guest to leave. They also say first guest, last guest. But that's a ritual in language to remind the team that whether it's the first guest or the last guest, it's the same experience. Yeah. But this is how the 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 power of language. So, like, of there's place for language. Absolutely. In consistency, in language. Yep. Do you want to? round that off or
1: no I think it weird. makes sense I think it's it's not about what you say it's about what you do yeah right um, and I think the big thing is language in the right spots understood the right way yeah is where it's important I think the problem is, is back in the day is it, you know to bring it full circle we're saying it was language just to be language because it was tried and tested it wasn't language to have a deeper meaning because if somebody said something to you and I we both might perceive it differently yeah like the important thing is what does the language mean what's the context behind it and we're really careful about that we mm-hmm. have internal touchstones that we've built, and they're typically one one to three words maximum. And for us, it's like you, you can't misinterpret something in its simplistic form, and that's the way we try to use our language. I think that's what people are understanding. like Less is more, and make sure you're really careful And what language you're using when.
2: Yeah. Awesome stuff. So like you mentioned, you were with uh, Darden from 2002, 2009, almost seven years. Yep. Within the last six months, you started transitioning out. Um, when they were acquired by Darden. Uh, That's correct. Longhorn. Um, is, it, is it worth drilling down into like a lesson there, why you left, why you chose the next location? Because you were
1: you, like, I don't want to move away from that part of your life. No, points. no, no, it's great. Um, I think there's definitely two points. I mean, one thing, it was the, the culture shock of jumping into the world of a Darden and not being there. And knowing that you're just a small fish in a big pond, giant pond, it was tough. Yeah. And to me, I'm like, man, that connection that you had. I mean, I'm the last conference I had before Darden took over. I remember sitting down with Gene Lee and Phil Hickey, who were the president and CEO at the time. We had breakfast together, and like they were Boston guys, and it just it was so normal. So you felt comfortable being in an environment where your word was heard, and you could speak up. And to me, that's that's what people want today, right? I want my dishwasher to speak up and tell me that he's got a great idea that I should be listening to, and that. That went away during my transition with Darden. And maybe that was just part of the temporary strategy. But to me, that turned me off. So I wanted to take everything I had learned because Rare was a, and Longhorn was an amazing company. And they were great systems, very thoughtful, great people. And I was still young and, and probably way too cocky at the time and said, oh, I can, I can do this. I can go to a, a small little restaurant group and build it. And I, I, I can do everything. And, and as you can imagine, paint the story. I was very mistaken, um, but <laughs> learned an incredible amount. Why no, were
2: you mistaken? Give me an example of, of times where you were just straight oh, up God. wrong, and why you were wrong.
1: the The list could go on forever, but I think the big thing when we were in construction is like, there's always someone to call yeah. at a Darton Yeah, right. It's like, there's a guy for that. Or a, gal it, for that. literally, like yeah. everything that you ever encounter, it's like, oh yeah, you just call so and so, and and they pick up and they tell you, and you're like, oh that was easy, and they and they've taken that call a hundred times, so to them it's simple. And then when you go to a restaurant group where it's it's basically you and one other like there's no one to call they call you and you're like oh god this seems so much easier when yeah. I had somebody else to call so I think the big thing was just really understanding the facility side of things what goes into the staffing side like the actual sourcing and managing of your team that whole hr Town piece acquisition yeah yeah i mean it's just it's the behind the scenes stuff right at the end of the day when the doors open everything else goes away like you go in, you throw a party, you have fun, and that's, that's the best part of the business. But it's all the stuff behind the scenes when you go to a small group that you take for granted You know how great it is to have a company of that size, and you get really humbled yeah. uh, really fast. Yeah, wow. I can't
2: believe how easy this is. It must be something. No, nope. It's yeah, not that not easy. All, yeah, not at so all. Not at all. So when you left uh, Darden, you went to Better Foods, LLC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tavolino, Tavolino, Tavolino. Thank yeah. you. In, in Westboro, Massachusetts. Yeah. So was this a small, the smaller restaurant? How many restaurants were there? Just so it was when
1: I joined, it was one. Okay. We had one in Cape Cod, in Massachusetts. Uh, we opened a second one in Foxboro Gillette Stadium, outside where the, the Patriots play. Got it. And the third one was in Westboro, which oddly enough was my hometown. Nice. Um, so I had kind of an affiliation to all three because my father lived in the Cape. I love. I, I was season taking over the pa- the Patriots, so I'd go there. I grew up in Westboro, so yeah. I'm like, this is a perfect. Starting point because I knew the market so well, and yeah. that's something I learned what there. Was, why is that so important? Oh man, that's I, I learned that early, and I, I preach that to all you know new restaurant owners. Is um, they always try to expand fast, right? Yeah. And like go to markets you know yes. early on, or or someone on your team is intimate with. Because yes. on paper, some location looks all nice and great, but if you don't really know the inner workings of why it's great or how to how to get in touch with local community or what the people really want in that area it's hard. And that's how most of them end up failing when they, bre- when they branch out. Um, so to me, I was like, man, this is my opportunity. There's three markets that I basically live in one, literally at the previous in my life that I knew so well. So I was like, even with the challenges of what it took to bring a guest in the door, I knew the levers to pull. Yeah. And I think it really helped. Whereas I, I, and seen that mistake made other times, and it's painful. It's yeah. really, really tough. Yeah, it's come up a lot
2: in the show. Go to where you have roots, because yes. when you open a restaurant, you're going to need an army. You're going to need a community, absolutely. a community that knows you, yeah. and not just for uh, the consumer's sake, but for your team. Like absolutely, re- like recruiting people. Like, and I don't. It sounds like you were working more the corporate route, but if you were an independent worker and you worked in every restaurant in that town, and you know every hospitality professional in that town and they all respect you. When you go to open your own place and you're looking to recruit talent, like it's, it's, built it's in. Yeah. Like you just let your friends know what you're doing and they want to be, a, if, yeah. if they respect you, they're going to want to be a part of it. it you know?
1: It's such a difference. I remember my, the first year in West from my hometown, you know, Thanksgiving, big drinking night. I mean, literally I sat on my phone texting people three days before and the restaurant was on a wait packed all That's night awesome. long. Um, yeah. But it's like, Again, you have built-in support that you've done organically your whole life. Why not use that? Exactly. And then when you make mistakes with them, they understand. Oh, hey, Eric, just a heads up. Like, you know, your food sucked tonight. Okay, perfect. I can fix it. Right. Because it's honest feedback and Eric will continue to support me. Yep. Eric in, you know, Boise, Idaho, if I'm not from there, he's not going to give me a second chance. And if he does, it's going to take a lot of time and effort to get him back in. Exactly. Awesome stuff. How would you say you grew
2: the most during those two years?
1: Um... I think the mo- the biggest thing there was that I became so much more curious. Mm. Um, you know, when you work for a big company and you know how to use your resources right now, which person to call. And if you're very systematic, you can be on paper, you can be deemed successful. Get a good team behind you, follow the systems and metrics. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is a great operator. When I went there for those two years, I realized that That stuff's important, but it's not what makes a good leader and operator. Um, It just makes a good manager. Um, I can check a box, my restaurant can be clean, um, and that's all important, but it doesn't drive the heart and soul and culture of a business. So for me, what I learned there was to really be curious. It's when I really started using a network of, oh, you know, someone that's gone through this, can I talk to them? And Mm. I started asking questions so much differently.
2: Well, and that was my follow up question is what were you really, like, what were you most curious
1: about? I was curious about who had gone through the process and really mm, like...
2: This sounds familiar.
1: Yeah, right? <laughs> and, and and what was their biggest mistake? Because my goal at that point was, I'm going to make a zillion mistakes. And I'm well aware of that and I'm going to learn from them. But if I can just make one less mistake a day because I spoke to someone that already made it, and maybe I don't make it as... Maybe I make the mistake, but not as big as they did. Yeah. It helped me out a lot. And I think it really worked. And with that group, we turned... Really good operations and profit much sooner than I would have expected us to, mm-hmm. and a lot of it's because we really used that network of like, okay, let's talk to who's really doing this well, mm-hmm. and look at those people that are either leading the industry or innovating in the industry, and start to take some of that secret sauce and bring it to life.
2: Were you ever afraid to reach out to people like they wouldn't like like some yes. stranger like, hey, like, why is this? Why am I going to give you my trade secrets or my competition?
1: All the time. It took those two. It took actually past those two years because even at that point still. And this sounds, I realize now it doesn't, it's, it's irrelevant. I say this to the guy that says I hate titles. At the time, I'm like, who's going to talk to some guy running a couple of small restaurants? Like, yeah. you know, somebody from Darden isn't going to care about like, right? Like, and I realize it's not the case. It's this, this industry is founded on hospitality, right? Yeah. We're all, we're people people pleasers, right? Yeah. So it's amazing when I started reaching out how much people like, oh, I would love to talk to you about that. Yeah. And you realize that some people are afraid that it's very rare that you actually get those calls. And people are so much more apt to do it. In my mind, I'm like, oh, they must was be a, getting called all the time. Oh, my God. It was the biggest fear I had starting this podcast. i like, sure.
2: Hey, do you mind if I interview you, get all of your secrets, and broadcast <laughs> them to the world? Everywhere. Yeah. Uh, but it's true. Like, it, it, What I've found is that it's the most successful restaurateurs that are willing to give it all You're away. absolutely right. And that th- that's why there's su- a, p- a big part of why they're successful. Sure. is because they're generous. Yes. and th- And that generosity reciprocates. It Absolutely. comes back some way, somehow, uh, and they are—they probably love knowing that, like, hey, you're interested in asking me questions. Like, you're this passionate about the industry. Yeah. Are you looking for a job? <laughs>
1: like, it's a great recruiting <laughs> yeah, tool, right? Exactly. It is, but it's—it's it's even like us. We've got, you know, some of the technology that we're using. People for the longest time didn't call because they thought that we were trying to keep it closed knit, like a secret. Like, no, we'll tell you everything you want to know about it because we want more people to adopt it because we've seen the benefit for our company, our people, our guests. And we like, we want that for everyone. It's so a win. During this
2: two-year period, and I'm sure it continued beyond this, your curiosity, but what were the biggest lessons you learned beyond uh, like home network, right? But be, like operational lessons you learned, cultural lessons you learned that weren't on your radar until this point?
1: Yeah. I think at that point, one of the biggest things was the power of loyalty. Mm. Um, when you have a brand that's across the country you worked for before that has commercials and it's like, you, you don't realize how to really harness the power of loyalty and how to build that without having an egregious marketing budget that you build it one table one guest one experience at a time and, and the biggest thing for me was I don't like traditional loyalty programs that's a whole other conversation yeah, But I, I
2: cringe a little bit I was like uh, I he's not going no there. god no I hate, <laughs> I hate him um, so what, whole, what,
1: what, what do you mean by loyalty then um, to me it's, it's about you want that connection like I use this expression with my bartenders all the time people come to see bartenders not to see bars and it's because you know, I, I, I joke when I used to do orientations right after that company, I used to share a story. I'm like, when your buddy comes over, you have the dive bar with dust in the corner. It serves warm beer and cold food. But when you walk in, John, the bartender, has your warm beer sitting on the bar and you feel like home. It's that cheers yeah. mentality, right? Yeah. And there's something to that that you take for granted and don't really realize that some people want these big restaurants that are always packed and busy and like you can barely have time to interact. And yeah. luckily, I was, a, I was a small restaurant. So I had a chance to get to know everybody, every little inch, and it was about to me at that point. The open table was around, but it wasn't as as evolved as it's been. that it was wasn't really competitors, I learned the value of creating a guest profile before all the tech and, and so was AI was out like there. So was like
2: in like a Google Doc where you would have like names and like
1: we built it in Open Table at the time, but oh, it was okay, before Open right. Table had really built out like all the tags and all the interesting information and all these other, all these other platforms yeah. were there to do it artificially, right? This was all just organic. Yeah. Um, I remember we had, we had guests, um, I'll never forget, um, their names are Marcelino and Don. They came in every Friday night. They're, still, they're t- still friends. But they came in super affluent, used to go into the city a lot, and we're in the suburbs. So it wasn't like we were a big driver. And they were big wine aficionados. We did not have a huge wine list, but every week I purposely ordered a bottle of wine for them. And they wanted to know the story. So I used to always bring in a cool wine with a cool story. And the second they came in, the bottle was on the table and I'd walk over and I'd share the story. And that 60 seconds of time, they became some of the most loyal people ever because I took the time to know what they were looking for and what they got when they traveled somewhere other than me. And it's that lesson and it seems so simple, right? Like it's like, well, of course, why that doesn't make perfect sense, but... You don't find it very often. You feel valued when that happens. Uh, you feel absolutely. like they actually
2: care about me.
1: Yeah, and that was yeah. the thing. And yeah. it was it, when you're fighting to make payroll, when you're fighting to pay your bills because every, if, if you don't hit the sales that you thought, right, you're not paying yourself. Yeah. There's a different pressure that comes with making sure those guests are are craving to come back. It's different than when you have unlimited. I shouldn't say unlimited supply, but a massive supply of money for a big corporate company. You don't have to think about the pennies every single time. Yeah.
2: So, what is it about the the tra- the I don't I don't want to say traditional because I don't feel like it is traditional loyalty programs. Yeah. But the newer, more tech forward, I would say the traditional loyalty is be loyal to your guest. Yes. Um. Like like you just described for us. But what is it about the modern day loyalty programs that doesn't sit right with you?
1: It's not loyalty. It's it's frequency. Like a, pe- I use this example a lot. Starbucks gets all this credit for their app. Right. Like it's the best thing in the world. And and don't get me wrong. The interface is fine. It's great. It's good. Yeah. But to me, it drives frequency. When you go up and it's your 10th visit at Starbucks when you go through the drive-thru, the person in the drive-thru isn't looking at you saying, hey, Eric, it's your 10th time. Like, thank you so much, yeah. man, for coming today. I've got you a little something extra. Like... Your app tells you that you get a free coffee. Yeah, they're saying, "Person, give me this." It's it, and, yeah. and I and I and you go to exchange it, and the person doesn't even recognize the fact of like this is a milestone. I see how frequency drives volume, and yeah. at the end of the game, it's a ga- it's a game of
2: volume, right? Yeah, absolutely. Volume. So I see that. Is there something else I'm missing?
1: I think there's two points of what people look at loyalty. They look yeah. at to me, the loyalty already yeah. talks about today is exactly to what you're saying. It's frequency, right? Which yeah. is important. I'm not that is that's one arm. The arm of loyalty to me is, is, am I an advocate for the brand, right? I think about loyalty experiences. In a former life, we had a whole discussion about this, that I wanted loyalty to mean that my top 1% of guests, when we do a, a menu change, we fly them in to sit with our culinary team, put them up in a hotel, and they get to taste through all the new items and tell us what they think. Yeah. I want to send them new merch out and say, hey, no one has this. I want you to have it. I want to make sure that they're recognized on their 10th or 15th or 20th time with something that's just out of this world, not here's a free dessert. Thanks for your 10th visit. Mm. Well, great. Friendlies has been giving away free ice cream for decades and, yeah. and it's nothing innovative. You want something that takes it and levels it up. Yeah. right? And to me, that builds low to the point of where you have people out in the street singing your praises, not because you're giving them a free coffee, not because I go every day because the drive-through is fast. Yeah. I go because Eric is there, and you'll never guess what they did when I came for my anniversary, and it wasn't a free glass of champagne. Yeah. Um, that's the stuff that makes a difference.
2: I'm, gonna, I'm pulling back layers on that, but yeah. I want to get beyond loyalty first, like the, the broken way. When I see loyalty programs, what I think of is you're not, you're not attracting loyal customers. You're attracting discount shoppers. I agree with you. Um, and I don't think that there's a lot of long term life. Like, there's not a lot until there's a better deal on the market. Yes. You know, like they're, they're going to go someplace else. So That's like, all it takes. So, yeah, like, I just don't think we, you don't want to build your brand on discount.
1: No, I think you're right. It's like a gas station. You, got, you and yeah. I have a gas station across the street from each other, and our price is the same. And you say, well, I'll, I'll give you a penny off for every 10 visits. And I drop my price two cents. You're, it doesn't matter how long I've been going to you. Yeah. You're done. Exactly. Right? You're going across the street. So it, it's, it's a penny shopper. in... and, and some of them don't get me wrong. It's still because you still have regulars that will do it because well, I'm going to come because you take care of me, and yeah. by the way, I also get you know X discount. But the discount's not the driver. Yeah, it's just a, it's just an add back. Basically. So what I'm
2: curious about now and. um this is actually we're going here based off the advice of my listeners who sometimes <laughs> criticize me for getting off subject when it's going good because the we're, best part because we're getting ahead of the timeline. Yeah. But now what I'm curious about in terms of, of loyalty and what you're doing, what you just described to us, how does that manifest in Bar Taco today? Do you, yeah. like, are you segmenting your, your email list for with regulars or like? how do, how do you know who to
1: give the T-shirt to? So we, we've never had a loyalty program at Bar okay. we just we, Similar thing. We just don't believe in that frequency piece. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. We've, we we always make sure we take care of our guests. But the point is, the job of our managers, our dining room managers, our general managers, they're the mayor of our restaurant. Their job is to be driving loyalty. That's, that's what we hire them for, right? They're to be out there, to engage, to recognize those guests, to point out the birthdays, to do something above and beyond for them, to do whatever it takes to make them feel like they've had a, an escape, an experience. So for us... We've, we've been going for over a decade without any traditional frequency program, without any formal written loyalty program. We've put it in the hands of our managers to say, listen, if Eric and Anthony at the bar every single Friday night and they come in, they're bringing somebody new, do what's right. Yeah. If it's, if now, it's they a get drink.
2: A, do they get a budge? Sorry, I cut you short. Go no, ahead. No, you're good.
1: I say, whether it's a drink or food or just simply throwing them a, a new t-shirt or something, Like it's it, if you write it too simple, then same thing that like we talked about earlier, you're back to the script. Yeah. Yeah. And every person is different. Like I've got guests that love swag, like I, I love swag. So to me, I'm like, you give me a T-shirt with the name, I'm like, giddy up, right? Restaurant Unstoppable <laughs> by swag, by See, the way. I'm it's saying perfect. <laughs> if
2: you guys have not gotten your Restaurant Unstoppable T-shirt and you want one, uh, email me Eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. We don't have prices on these things. I'm kind of just like, I'll give it. you my Venmo if you want to donate. Feel free to, no pressure. But we are giving away these shirts. Not giving away. I shouldn't say that okay. again. If you want one we'll figure it out. We haven't figured out a price yet. But sorry, but do you give your, your people a budget to work with like a like a monthly budget like you have, you know, $200 worth of comps or like how do you not how do you make sure they're not just like giving a bunch of swag away to their best friends?
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't give them I mean, we have a budget as a company, but like we don't say, "Hey, $200 has to be done for, you know, promotional discounts at your bar." Yeah. For two reasons is that one People sometimes will do it when it doesn't really need it because they want to get up to the number to not yeah. lose it. The other one, I don't want someone to say, "Oh, I, I, I don't, I really want to buy them a drink to make to come back in, but I'm going to break my budget, so I can't do it this time." Like we're really unorthodox when it comes to budgets. To us, it's just just do better than yesterday. Yeah, um, and we're more about the narrative. So if they're spending more than we expected, giving away swag or drinks, whatever it may be, we just want to know why. Like, hey. Cool. You gave away twenty drinks last night. That's awesome. Who are the people you gave them out to? (laughs) Yeah. Right? Oh no. And they they tell us What's your strategy here? But it's but to us that's that's it. Like we want to know the why. Yeah. Because so many people and operators out there just look at the what and say, Oh, that number's wrong. Just fix it and they don't take the time to ask why. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes I think that's what made us really different in that aspect.
2: Yeah, man. I'm loving the conversation by the way. Um, Me too. Thank you. So looking at your timeline, you were here with a. as the last name Cacciatore, Whenever I see Italian names, man, I don't know why I struggle so hard <laughs> to spit them out. Uh, Tavolino, yeah, Tavolino. Say, it, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it right. Tavolino's I, name. I said it right. It means a
1: small table. You roll out pasta in Italy.
2: To my ancestors' roll in their craze, <laughs> I swear to God. Um, so you were there for two years. From there, you went to Del Frisco. From you're there from 2011 2018. I'm just gonna run through your your yeah. um, career real quick. From 2018 to 2020, you're at uh, with Mina Group. I'm sure there's some lessons learned there. in yep. operation. And then um, you're the chief operating officer for Bird Call from 2020. So you had a little bit of an overlap, did you? No? Maybe not. Never mind. Just kidding. Uh, wait, yeah. April, there was a little bit of it. Maybe your dates are
1: just a little off. Probably dates are off. Be, um, that, that's on me.
2: <laughs> and then you were at Bar Taco. So yeah. I mean, we still got a lot of career to cover. Um, wh- what was the major reason for leaving the uh, Tevelino group?
1: Yeah, you know, we originally wanted to kind of do some more expansion. And we were at three and that was kind of where I saw it ending. And I wanted to kind of go back in. I want to be in a big city. I want to be able to get into different type of operation. I wanted to get more into fine dining Um, and I want to grow. I wanted somewhere where I could take on more. I mean, I'd learned a lot in a short period of time there, but to me, like, I'm always looking for the next challenge. Um, I always want something that once I kind of get into a good routine and things start doing well and the operations are good, I'm like, what's next? Um, Because I'm motivated by the challenge, not by the work. Um, meaning like once the work is just mundane, I'm like, give me something new. Yeah. Um, so when I realized we weren't really going to expand a lot and I, and uh, a good friend of mine in Boston said, Hey, I know you you got a good thing, but Del fresco's is open and they want a local guy. This is a really big stretch. The deal in Boston, the CEO, Mark Manansky, the amazing, amazing guy. He signed it like basically to the board, like we're going to do this even though you don't want to. And it was before the seaport in Boston was what it is today. Like this was a big gamble. Um, there was nothing really down there. Well back
2: almost 12 years
1: ago now. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I need a local guy that knows Boston because this is going to be a hard nut to crack. Yeah. Um, this, this is before we knew what Seaport obviously has become, if anybody knows the area. Um, so they, they reached out and said, I'm, I'm interested. And I had an interview uh, with a woman named Kim Owens, and literally two hours later... Um, she was like, This is great. Pass me on the COO. It was ED Ames at the time. And get up to Mark. And all of a sudden, it's like, All right, we're going to make this happen. And um, the culture just seemed amazing. It reminiscent of my early days out of college with Rare, very like mom and pop feel, like run your own business. Um, but it was Del Fresco's at the time. They were, they were the hot steakhouse. Yeah. Um, so it was a big challenge. Nice. Um, so
2: looking forward into your career, uh, did you grow a lot? Like, where does it make sense to spend the next? 20 minutes of our time before we transition to say talking about what, what you got going on today. Yeah. So I want to make sure we leave a lot of time to talk about where you are today with Bartaco. Taco. For sure. Uh, how you've left your imprint here and where you're headed, right? I, I think that's really probably what my listeners want to hear. Like, what is a, a restaurant group like Bar Taco doing? Right? Yeah. How are they getting ahead of the curve? But where did you, from this point on, where do you think you evolved the most as a a professional, yeah. where you where you had mentors, where you were really pushed to, to to elevate yourself as a professional.
1: Yeah, it was definitely with Del Friscos. I, mean, I had yeah. Amazing times at Mina and Birdcall, but that seven years was that was the quantum leap. Yeah,
2: is there any co- coincidence that Del Friscos is, is now the owner of Bartaco? Is that, that they're not you any? Up? No, no. So okay.
1: that was very short lived. Okay. Um, so the Friscos bought um, Barteca, yeah, and then they've since sold. We're with El Catterton, PE firm out of Greenwich, Connecticut. So Del Friscos is now owned by Tillman Fertitta. Okay. So we were, we had a short lived period and that's a that's a, a little bit of a sore subject for Barataka. We can get into that as we talk sure. about the brand.
2: We'll, I'm sure we'll get to that. Uh
1: wasn't wasn't the best merger. We'll we'll leave okay. it at
2: that. Maybe some lessons.
1: Yes, yes, for uh, sure. so
2: how did you grow with Del Frisco? Who were you going in? Who were you coming out?
1: Yeah, I mean I I went in still was a little bit of a sponge, still really young, kind of learning. Curious. Yeah. Um I'd never manage a team that size. was so managing two hundred people and then getting as a, a director, I was managing God, over a thousand people, you know, a hundred million dollars in revenue. It was all brand new to me. But the biggest evolution for me was being in a position where my ideas weren't just being tested by me, I was testing them for an entire company. And and to see that layer of impact when you make one minor change to a basic system that just tweaks that screw and being able to see that that ripple effect, it was such a learning curve for me to be like, man, the power that, that we have to be able to make such great impact on our team and employees. That was the time when I really started getting kind of down and dirty of like, I got to start changing more. I got to start pushing the limits. I've got to really break the rules and, and bring them back together. So how do you create that culture of change? Because I think that's a hard culture sure is. to create. People don't like change. They, they don't, but they, they, but they thrive off of it. Yeah. Um, like I, I like the expression, if it's not broke, break it. Yeah. So I used to encourage my teams and like, why do we do it that way? And, and I would keep asking until they'd say, well, it's just the way we're told to do it. I'm like, well, that's the worst answer of any leader in any company in the world, yeah. right? Not because we've done it that way. It's great. If you had to scrap it and it didn't exist, take your mind out for a second, what would you do? Yeah. And oftentimes when you break it, put it back together, you actually find inefficiencies. And you make yeah. it better. Yeah. So I used to, that was the way I really turned the culture in the, in the, the uh, restaurants I was running was like, break it. Look at this and tell me a different way to do it. And you cannot come up with the same way we have it today. I won't accept it. Yeah. And it started just to get people thinking differently. Well, well you're creating a, a safe space too, where that if something absolutely. is broken,
2: you know it's okay to say something.
1: Yes. You're not afraid to say something. Yeah. And we didn't always go with it. It doesn't yeah. mean that everybody had a phenomenal idea, but exactly to your point is it now got them thinking of other things of, hey, I don't want to do it this way. I want to do it this way. And there were so many little things over the time of, uh, of my seven years there that we did that I remember bringing my team or myself, literally touring the country, teaching every restaurant. We had three concepts at a time, teaching all of them some of the things that we learned because they were so valuable and no one was doing them yet. What were some of the biggest things you broke? And how did you start
2: doing it better? Yeah. Give me an example.
1: One of the ones I, I love, and it's kind of funny, it talks about a little bit of that loyalty conversation tied full net, but it was a dominantly reservation-based, like all steakhouses, right? And I kept looking at it and I said, listen, we, every restaurant does a great job with first time guests, right? They recognize them, they do these big things. We do great with regulars and great with celebrations, but the real transition moments are the second and third visit, right? That's when you go from a first time guest to, okay, you wowed me. You come in the second time and if you wow me and it's not that same wow, now I've lost some traction. In yeah. the third visit, if they give you a third time, that's when you transition to a regular, right? Mm-hmm. After three visits, it's like... I'm kind of going to... Something uh, like 70% more likely to be a regular if it's three visits. Yeah, I, I exactly. I saw that. Power of three. It's, yeah. I use it for almost everything. Yeah. So to me, I'm like, I go, we're not even paying attention to someone's repeat visit, ever. It's not even on our radar. So we, we flipped the script in my restaurants. Yeah. And I said, yep, we've got first-timers, it's fine. And, and I forget the number, but it's like it's extremely high, the amount of first-timers that don't come back to a restaurant. It's a, actually more alarming than I thought it was. I'm like, we're going to do good with the regulars, that's easy. We spent literally 90 days just blowing away second and third time guests. Like, we, we've created a whole program around it from it was a steakhouse, right? Custom cuts of meat and like tastes of high end wines and premier tables and premier reservations and like just making it seem like they were the lifeblood of the restaurant. And it was amazing how we transitioned almost overnight seeing this, that revenue started going up. We started comping sales. I'll never forget, our CEO called me. It was the year Boston got hammered with snow. It was like record snowfall, Q1. And he's like, oh, well, Boston's got to be down. Like, no, somehow they're up. <laughs> and it was we distributed to this because we had said, hey, we're going to just do something that no one else is doing. No one was thinking about spending all their money on second and third visits. They were all spending it on first-time celebration regulars like everybody else in the world. Um, New leads, right? Like, but not like,
2: but it's like you said, it's the third time back that makes them a regular, not the first time. It's huge. So, how did you know they were a second time or third time visitor?
1: By reservation. So, I had their name on the reservation, and it would show what visit number it was. Okay.
2: Is that automated? It was
1: automated, yeah. Cool. But,
2: and, so you would basically give them. So you kind of reminded me of John Taffer. It was John Taffer I originally heard that from. He was on Gary Vanderchuk's show, um, which is where I heard this this whole idea of the power of three, the third visit. But what they a simple thing that you can do to re, if you don't have open table, if you don't have the software, yep. If it's their first time, you just ask. They're going to yeah. say yes or no. If it's their second time. What you do, I think if it's the first time you write in the back of like a like a card, like a business card, like chicken with like your signature on it, right? So they know the next time they come back to bring that card and they're gonna get a free entree, a chicken yep. entree. If they come up and and if the server gets a chicken entree card, they know that, that they're a second time customer mm-hmm. and that the next the third time they're coming back for the steak. Yes. So you're it's kind of like a click funnel where like yeah, you 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 offer a great first-time experience. You, you add a little more value the second time with the, the chicken because that's a, not a cheap item to get. Right, right. And then you add a lot more value the third time by steak, the most expensive thing that we have. Sure. But what you're gaining is a lifetime, 70% likely chance that. They're going to be a fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time repeat guest, and it pays off in the long term.
1: You're absolutely right. We, uh, I test something at Mina Group with a concept that we had, Code International Smoke, and we actually, similar to that idea, we created these metal cards. Um, the first time someone came in, they got one color. I said, hey, bring this back and pass it to your server when you start the experience. And what do you get? You'll see when you come back. Yeah. So there's a tempting fate, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And then when they came back, we would actually swap it out for a different color. And they played this game a second time. And what I actually did is they wanted to come back faster. Because the first time was always the first time was actually something relatively in large of scale. Yeah. So it's just like, oh, I can't wait to see what's next. And then we did it in a third time, and that, that was the trigger moment, right? Of this is the chance. But what we found, not only did they come back and we were able to to be able to build that loyalty, but the time in which they returned shrunk. Mm. So now that whole loyalty, as people call it today, right of frequency, we actually adopted that, but we did it in a way that was completely different. Yeah. Um, and to me, it was just so cool. Like, guests got a kick out. It's like, oh, I've got this color. You know, yeah, it was, it's fun. It it's, was like it's flashing serious, around. You yeah. know,
2: like, I don't want to wait another month to figure out what this whole card's about.
1: Exactly. I want to get this thing out of my wallet, you know? like let's. And it was just a card with the logo on it and nothing else. That's cool. So, of course, it drives you crazy. It's, just yeah. like, it's like a secret key. Like, what is it, where does it take me? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: you know? I love that. But there's so many cool things you can do to create those experiences, to track uh, the frequency of guests uh, yes. you know, coming to your place. and Knowing that information is so valuable because you, sure you can use that information to, to make sure you're leaving those impressions. You're absolutely right. Uh, anything we, I mean, you said this is where you, you grew a lot yeah. at Risco, So, I mean, reflecting back at the professional you are, like how else did you evolve during this time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me there is everywhere I had worked before was geographically able to touch Every day, right? Regionalized, small, like New England, you can drive, yeah. you can hit everything. Everything was in Massachusetts. I was here in
2: three hours. I live two states away. Yeah, literally, right? <laughs> like so,
1: so if an issue happens, you can be there, right? Yep. When you start to manage, not only the volume that I had in these stores, but Boston, Chicago, D.C., Philadelphia, Denver, you can't just be there before dinner service. No. Um, and the teams were so big that it really taught me a lot about managing three people. Not just managing people. It sounds so cliche. It's understanding what drives people differently. Mm. And there's not one stop approach. And at the time, because I could be in every restaurant, people knew who I was. It was easy. Had the interaction. There, it's like, I only have small you know, pockets of time to be with them. I have to be really intentional about how I show up. Yeah. I have to really make sure that if I'm in Denver for three days, like, what am I accomplishing? Because before... You go in one of your restaurants and it's like, well, I'm just going in to go in and you kind of figure it out, right? You help out an expo, you clear some tables. But now it's like, you got to show up intentionally and make sure that your people leave with a really consistent message. And that's when I learned in, in the power of three, John Taffer's point on the visit, I actually believe in the power of three differently is that you can only do three things at the same time really well. I think too many people try saying, I'm going to fix seven things at once and you become a C student. Yeah. And I've been there. I'm a C student. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But- but you can do three things really well. And to me, that was really what I learned there. Is like, yeah,
2: this I, is I don't know if, if John Taffer is an EOS person, but they, they preach this in the entrepreneur. The, uh, I don't know if you have you ever heard the book Traction. Oh, yeah. Uh, so in that book, they talk about EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system. And I'm I become a huge fan to the point where I'm trying to get all the EOS traction of uh, the co-authors like i had gino wickman on the show we're going to get oh, awesome. mike payton on the show the author of process and get a grip and then uh we're gonna get mark winters who's the the author of um rocket fuel oh very cool uh, so if, if you guys are not familiar with eos it stands for entrepreneurial operating system and they talk about quarterly rocks and they say you need to have three rocks every yeah. quarter but there's something to be said about power three. of power three focusing on three and like and if you if you spread yourself out too big, you just like you said, like how we opened today's conversation, what, what's that person in the middle? You become a what,
1: uh, losers never finish. You,
2: you have a bunch of jobs you never finish.
1: That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So you you said you showed up more intentionally. Yeah,
2: because um, you knew you had only a short amount of time to make an impression on somebody. Yeah. So would you have like um like break down how you would strategize what you how you would show up? And yeah. Like what would prioritize? What you would focus on?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think restaurants and even today and back then same thing. like we have so much data between how guests feel how operations are financials and a lot of times we're just drawn towards the biggest red flag in the group yeah um, but what we don't really think about and to me is like what's driving that result so when I would go into a store maybe not performing correctly the instinct is sit down with the GM and chef run through numbers get the answers go through, like create the plan and move on right um, I started shifting and saying well if the problem in the kitchen I don't want to talk to the chef I want to talk to the staff and if a three day visit was there, the first day I would spend the entire day talking to the hourly team. Yeah, behind the line, I'd bring a chef jacket. I'd be back there. I mean, it was people were blown away at Duff Frisco's. I showed up to our busiest store in New York, it was a forty million dollar store with a chef jacket on. They're like, they looked at me like I had ten heads. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to hang out in the kitchen. I'm like, why? I'm like, why not? Oh, yeah. uh, you know, it's part of the business. Yeah. Um, so some of those ways, and I would talk to staff. And it's like. When they see that, they tell you everything. At yeah. the end of the day, they're the ones that make it happen, yeah. right? So, going in and pulling that information and making sure each so day had a purpose, starting with the data, looking
2: yeah. at you know the numbers don't lie. Where are the clues, and then once you prioritize which clues seem the most blaringly obvious, yeah. start there.
1: Yeah, I think what's and what's the biggest one, right? You can always pick. I've talked to operators like well I always pick one thing in the front one in the back one in the bar I'm like well that's great but is that, is that really the best use of your time Maybe what if the, the, what if the back of the house has three major issues uh, exactly yeah. right? the front might be doing well yeah. um, and again they try to say too, too worth it or too uh, scripted right to me it's, it's like what, what is going to really move the needle for either our guests our staff yeah. our operations the most yeah. and what do I have You know, at, the, at that point it's like we're the liaison to resources yeah. right? I look at my job today it's like I'm a resource manager my job is to deploy and manage resources to my teams to make them successful. And during that time, I had to figure that out. I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I already maybe had a call scheduled with my fp team. I had a call scheduled with my marketing team. Like Everything was very laid out, but when I got there, I let it happen organically. Yeah. Because then it doesn't feel like you walk in with, with a, a certain agenda because sometimes you walk in restaurants, if you haven't been there in two months, you have an agenda and you go, wow, I... I Miserably mistook what was happening yeah. You have to divert uh-huh. um, And that's important to be you know, nimble and flexible Yeah,
2: Man, I'm loving this conversation Looking at the clock Now is a great time to take a first break To thank our sponsors We'll come right back to talk about Your two other stops you made Before joining Bar Talk. I think it was two other stops, right? It was uh, a group in uh bird Call. So we'll be right back to unpack that
0: restaurant tours and GMs. You know that the unexpected expenses are always right around the corner, like broken
2: equipment overhead during slow times, and even ideas to improve your business. When this
0: happens, you cannot wait. You need cash. Fast. That's why you need Zinch, a direct lender that understands your business and makes financing fast
2: and simple. Since 2004, Zinch has made the financing process for small and medium-sized business fast, flexible, and inclusive with easy-to-understand solutions. If your restaurant is generating over $10,000 monthly revenue and has been in business for over six months, Zinch can fund up to $250,000 in less than two days so much faster than the traditional lenders. To apply, just fill out a simple application form and provide a copy of your four most recent bank statements. It's that easy. No drawn out paperwork to keep track of, and no lengthy waiting to see if you qualify. You'll get a response from Zinch within 24 hours. Plus, Zinch's specialists are just a phone call away. They'll guide you every step of the way and help you choose the terms that best fit your business needs. You
0: need Zinch, it's financing that works. So go to financingthatworks.com now to get pre-qualified. Right now, my listeners can apply without fees.
2: That's a $250 value. Don't wait. Go to financingthatworks.com today and see how much cash you can get with Zinch. That's financing thatworks.com. Loans made or arranged pursuant to California Finance Lenders Law License. We are back. And looking at your timeline, man, we have two more stops on your your entrepreneurial or career journey i should say uh, before landing with uh, bar taco you were with uh, the mina group which is an amazing restaurant group for two years then from there you went to bird call and you're there for about a year so real quick just like let's just give some nods like what was why the mina group in the first place you you said you had a lot of respect for del frisco what they were doing what you were learning how you were evolving why leaf like i feel like there's that's a huge organization that has so much room for like career growth it why would you get away from
1: it sure does um the ceo retired okay. and a new ceo came in and as that happens you know you see some transitions And at the end of the day i thought it was a good time to see what was out there and i got an opportunity to work with a michelin chef as a coo and you know a phenomenal reputation an amazing human being um i said you know what i get a chance to be in the c-suite and get exposed to things that would have taken me years to get exposed to at del frisco's and i took it yeah so what how did michael mina
2: and the mina group do things differently
1: oh wow um you know, Michael is such a creative soul. and He's got so many different concepts. He's been around for, for so many years at, at a high level. Um, for him, everything, I mean, it, it was so good about the experience, but for him, he had so many, he had systems built out without guardrails. And that was what was amazing about Michael. Like to your point earlier, everyone knew the language, everyone knew what needed to get done, but there wasn't a handbook that literally said, this is the way you do it. So he was really great at hiring people that just believed in his vision and put them together what and let them run. Vision? He he was really really big in the kind of Japanese culture. Um, and his big thing, and in, in I've actually can pulled, I guess what's is that? it going to be? Kaizen. It sure is. <laughs> I, I love Kaizen um, though. Yeah, well, we just our conference of our tacos about that last year. Um, that was his big thing. But he even the way his food was, and it's funny we seem to circle on this power of three thing. But Mike would only put three of an item on a plate. It Had to be three, six, or nine. Like everything he really believed in was was driven by that. Even his concepts were, but. Michael was just incredible at imagining what could be before anybody else would think about it. And the, the thing he hated was don't tell him no. Uh, Michael can picture it in his head no matter where he is, and he gets inspiration from everything, and he'd just be like, this is going to happen. You're going to figure it out. Okay. Um, so it when, you,
0: when, you're, when you
2: don't have the rigidity of system and process and standards written out like he didn't have, how... What do you need? What is what is the, the key variable that you double down on to be able to maintain those
1: standards? You had, had great leaders. You put bright people in the right spot that knew the only standard Culture was to, carriers. Yeah, the only standard was to be better. Yeah, that when your standard every day is to simply be better, you don't need a script to tell you how to do that. I mean, we had spiel's and all. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's not like we had nothing, but the the principle every single day was just just get better. Like kaizen, just get one percent better than yesterday. And if you do that. You're always going to be at the top of your game. Yeah. And that was the way he lived in our restaurants, and it, and it showed. It really did. Did
2: you manage differently in, a, in an atmosphere like this? Did you change as a, as a manager? Yeah, I think the one thing was
1: it really kept you more in the moment. You constantly either look back or look forward. And you rarely sit in today's moment and say, well, here's what we're doing today. Let's think what we're going to do tomorrow. And he had built in things like he had a daily meeting that the entire company had at the same time, every restaurant, every day. It was the one thing he was fanatical about. Is it did,
2: one meeting or is it multiple meetings? Every restaurant different? had the
1: same meeting, but not like... I was going to say, was he like on a video? Call no, he was wasn't. It? But at three o'clock local time, every restaurant would have their daily meeting. And it was a 45 minute meeting. No matter what was going on, it happened. But it was about living in the moment. Like what's happening right now and what do we need to do to impact tomorrow to just make it 1% better. and that, Can you give me an example of the things that would come up during this meeting? We would review everything from labor to guest feedback to- Well, that's actually probably a better
2: place to start. Do you remember yeah. the format of the meeting?
1: Yeah. it, it was it, The meeting was no different than probably a typical meeting you would think you'd have. Run through labor, through guest feedback, what was on the menu, what features were coming in. Like, it, the, There was nothing amazing in the agenda that was different. The difference was is that we looked at it right then and there. Normally when you do a, you know, a product mix uh, meeting, you're talking about past six months, what happened. He's like, if it didn't sell yesterday, why? Go look at the food, redo the plate, or make sure it's being executed correctly, and send it out to 10 guests tonight and get their feedback. Like It yeah. was
2: instant. Which most people don't do I've never eaten In a Michael Mina restaurant But because the, uh, is the, is the out. menu I'm sure Is the menu changing every. Is it the same Do they have staples Or is like everything Constantly on a rotation
1: So he's got uh, 16 different concepts yeah. uh, Everything from Michelin restaurant Down to a Juice Shack So Which restaurant were you like um, at? I was an International Smoke So okay. it was an International Barbecue restaurant Got it um, The menu We do features every day The core menu stayed But we could change it Sometimes daily Sometimes weekly Sometimes monthly mm-hmm. um, That was part of working with the chef Is it's like Change it when it's right
2: so you're looking at the the plate and how we can change this plate. Is it selling? Or is it? Wild? But what else? Give me other examples of the things that you're looking at.
1: Uh, personnel. You know, somebody. If if Eric got a complaint yesterday as a server, okay, who's going to coach Eric today? Work with him. Who's going to Who's going to make sure that we're evaluating if he's in the right? And this would be ad- addressed in front of everybody. In front of all the management team. Okay. So every so every day. So each day we would leave, and everybody would know their marching orders. I think the one thing that was really cool about it that I took from it. Is like if we if we host a forty five minute meeting with our team if we both work together right everyone would take a different piece of information for that forty five minutes whenever we left that meeting everybody knew the like everybody was was beating to the same drum and it was really impressive because yeah. it's hard to do yeah even in pre shift right everybody takes it a little bit differently he had it down pat where that final conversation was this is what we're going to do and everyone did it and there yeah.
2: was the cool thing about the world we live in today is that we have so many data touch points that we can measure effort. So effortlessly, yeah, you know, which is crazy for sure. Uh, that like you can come up with a plate, see how it performs, bad or good, what can we do differently today, and then see the effect of your effort, like, yes, within 24 hours. That's which amazing. is so cool. Um, and it's just going back to the whole EOS mindset, it's like you need that scorecard, you need for sure, you need to be able to score your performance, and um, being able to talk about those things on a daily like, and bring things up, like. Daily, I yeah. think. It, just makes, it must make people so aware is what I'm feeling.
1: It is. I mean, yeah. it's you're hyper aware and you're yeah. really in tune. I mean, yeah. those operators, they knew the business better than anybody else I've worked with yeah they really knew it because they had to report it every day yeah yeah um, so.
2: uh, any other big lessons with the Mina group I mean such a great you know recognized group I want to make sure we save plenty of time to talk about what you got going on today but don't let me rush you through it
1: no you're, I mean honestly at the, end of the day, working for a guy like Michael that you know, has a Michelin star restaurant when you realize just the power of persistence and yeah. discipline
2: Michael doors open anytime you want to come share your story yeah he's he's <laughs>
1: he's an amazing human being yeah, um, I mean, he's I mean. he's incredible Um, so you why did you leave uh, we get in again. Yeah. You're in
2: a, a <laughs> restaurant group that has what 18 concepts. You said 16, 16 yeah. concepts across the world. Um, you can learn so much. You're the uh, chief operating officer.
1: Yeah. I mean, were you just trying to build your resume? Like, what was going on? No. So, great question. So, I've, I've got uh, now three little ones at home. My last year with Michael, I was on the road about 240 something days. Um, I was gone for a month at a time away from little ones. Um, and it was because I loved the brand and I, and I love what I did and loved the people, but it wasn't sustainable for me to, to keep my family and work. And, and I was open to Michael about it and him and I had you know, discussions at the time. It was like, How do you a, handle that? Uh, Michael and I still talk all the time. I yeah. mean, we're, we're still super close and I respect him so much. He understood it. I mean, Michael's a, he's got kids of his own, so his kids are yeah. grown, so he's at a different point in his career or his life rather. But he was so understanding and so supportive, which meant a lot to me. And um, I think it's why him and I are, are still close. We actually were supposed to meet in Vegas last week, but we missed each other. Oh man! Um, but he's he's still been a, a really good you know coach and mentor to me that I've I've leaned on many times. So. Yeah,
2: I mean he he's that name. The Mina Group has come up so many times. So many people I've come I've had on the show have been through that organization. Uh, and anytime, Mike, <laughs> you're welcome to be a guest. I'd love to make it happen. So so you left because it was a better fit for your family is what Correct. I got from you. So why the Bird call. I mean, I feel like this is so left field from what you were traditionally, like, traditionally doing. As far as seem more focused on full service, uh, casual fine, not super fine, yep. but like not super casual either. Yep. And then you have a QSR out of left field. Sure.
1: What's uh, going on, man? <laughs> well, like I said earlier, I'm always looking for the next challenge. Um, for me, at that point when I went out and was working with a recruiter, you know, I, I only had a few kind of guidelines. I said, listen, I don't want to take anything off the table. I want a challenge but I want someone that really cares about where their food comes from. I don't, I didn't want something that was, you know, a bag in the box type thing. I wanted good quality. I wanted someone that had a passion for, um, for service, like not, no matter if you're QSR fine dining, like really cared about the experience. And I wanted a progressive company where that was tech or employee forward. I needed those three things and, and bird call came up and it was funny. I had two other offers that were both in my realm of fine dining or steakhouses. And this one came up and I said, man, this, this is a challenge. I mean, I've, I've never worked at a drive-thru in my entire life um, when did you start the narrative with Bird Call
2: I'm curious like the, when did you first reach out to them
1: um, a recruiter that I worked with had reached out I don't remember when it was but he presented he's like hear me out for a second as the same thing he had to do Yeah. The because they're looking like what is this guy going to bring here but the thing that was great about the founders um, Pete and Philippe is that they they wanted to take that fine dining you know discipline and beauty and finesse and bring it to QSR the way they designed the restaurants, the way the steps of service were, the way the guest experience was. like They thought, they wanted that bird call to think like a Michelin restaurant, but be an everyday restaurant for every, day, every person. Yeah, And they were really, really good at that. And they wanted a thought partner for that, that had been part of growing brands yeah. and bigger companies so that we could see what we needed to be. So it was this, this perfect synergy. Um, and it seemed like an amazing challenge. They were building their own technology, which to me, I'm like, Okay, this is cool. This is something I've never done. I'm ready to tip for they the show. They must challenge. have been
2: pretty venture backed if that was the case.
1: They were. They were. Amazing supporters. Well, uh, was this
2: their first restaurant? Or were they su- successful in other verticals first? Yeah,
1: they had a group called Gasamo Groups. So they had other, okay. other concepts in Denver that done really well. Um, this was when they decided to to separate and branch Scale. off and grow correct. Yeah, eggs
2: for sure. Um so you start April twenty twenty. The reason why I asked, when did the narrative start? <laughs> is because
1: pre COVID. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and when I made the move I already thought I was a genius. Um, like, what'd you predict um, COVID? I'm like, my, no. After uh, COVID,
2: like you, you, move to a QSR drive-through operation. Yeah, uh, like it does seem like good timing. But I was curious if it just happened out that way,
1: it happened organically. Yeah, totally. I mean, and, and in um, hindsight, talking about better be lucky than good, as they say, I was lucky to take a move with a QSR that we were crushing during. Yeah, COVID, because drive-throughs were like
2: yeah, travel well. You oh, know, yeah.
1: like it's like COVID-proof concept. Absolutely, one of the
2: few that were out there. So. I mean, how did this change you as an operator? How did you become a better operator, more skilled operator being forced through this new mold?
1: Yeah. I think the two big takeaways for me, one was really understanding tech. I mean, we were yeah. building a KDS and POS from the ground. They'd already put the foundation there, but we were constantly adjusting it. Yeah. That was a huge learning for me. Do I, you think
2: that was the right way to go, knowing I, what you know now, to try to build everything
1: from scratch? or to? I, I do, okay. because I think so many brands are trying to fi- differentiate themselves. But if they're all using the same technology, it's like, how far can you really go? Whereas yeah. now we can create something that's specific just for us. Um, I think it, it's, it's a challenge. It's a big challenge, a big investment, but I think there's a big payoff in it. Um, I think that was one thing. But the second thing going to QSR that I've taken, especially you know, in, my, in my life today, in steakhouses and fine dining, you manage in minutes. right, how many minutes is this? How many minutes is this? In QSR, it's seconds. Seconds. And you watch every step an employee has to make. And we did a full analysis of how many movements, not even steps, movements an employee had to do to make every sandwich on the menu. And how can we reduce the movements by even 10%? And I never thought about that in fine dining. Like you think about ways to improve, right? But you don't think about seconds. But at the end of the day- seconds add up to minutes and minutes add up to hours. Yeah. So it really forced me to think about every little piece of efficiency because you have small spaces in QSR. So if you have one service station, it has to be the most efficient <laughs> service station you've ever seen in your life. So yeah. it really taught me to think microscopic, to think macro, right? Which I, which I had always looked what I thought was granular, but this was that next layer because two seconds in QSR, is an insane amount of revenue. Where did you make up the most seconds? We did it in the cook line efficiency. It was really changing the way the kitchens were set up. And we actually built a new prototype uh, when I was there. It was a double-sided line that was mirrored. One was drive-through and takeout. One was dine-in. And we actually adjusted where all the pieces in there were multiple times. We we actually had one built at our um, equipment facility. And we stood there. We're like, okay, Where am I moving to make every single menu item? And we adjusted the whole line based off that. So the theory was I could plant my feet and never have to move them. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it increased efficiency. And we saw it in the stores we opened with the new model. Yeah. It's amazing. I never knew this until
2: speaking with um, Leo Holtzman uh, from SoCal Cantina based out of Miami, Florida. They're scaling right now. But he was a... I don't know why I struggle saying the, the name of a person who does magic. Because <laughs> I want to say musician, but that's not right. Magician. <laughs> magician. I know no, I, it always comes out wrong. I have to, like, walk, like talk through it. Uh, <laughs> he was a magician, and I never realized how much uh, being a magician had to do with – it's not so much sleight of hand as is, like, literally having mise en place for all the shit you're going to do. Oh, I can only imagine. And just, like, and just having everything in order and, like – moving in a certain way where it's efficient. It's all about efficiency. Yeah. And like it was, it was a cool conversation, but to kind of compound on what you're saying is just like literally go through the motions and like, I don't know, say like you're putting toppings on like the first toppings, pickles and the last toppings like, like lettuce. Like, yeah. Is there a way to like, I don't know, like put the, cl- like the list as close as possible as the pickles. So yeah. Like like all those little, like like little things like, It's 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 like it's life by a thousand cuts, not death by a thousand cuts. You're absolutely right.
1: It's crazy. I just watched The Founder. Have you seen that yet? The Founder. I have. Yeah, yeah. The 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 tennis court. It's the coolest thing. But just like that, that's it. Yeah. Right. Like I mean, they were the they were the first ones really going that route. Yeah. It's like, but that's that's the definition of it. It can be fun, you know. Absolutely.
2: Especially if you bring your team into it, because then now you're brainstorming and everyone's a part of it. Yeah. And I think like earlier I asked you how do you make change. Oh wait, did we even get into this? Like the how do you make change fun? Like people don't like change. Did we didn't get him an how to make plan? it fun.
1: We talked about just ways I'd done it, but yeah. not how to make it fun. Um,
2: anyway, I don't know. Maybe I'm all over the place right now. But this <laughs> is some great stuff, man. Thank um, you. I think we need to spend the rest of our time talking about Bartaka. Great. So uh, you join in 2021. When did Del Frisco buy
1: Bar Taco? Um Don't quote me precisely. But 2018? I, I think it was 18. Yeah, I think um, it was 18. Then it was. 30 325 million
2: yeah how many locations was
1: it at this time um, I don't 60. know the location that time it was I think it was yeah sub20 yeah um, Barcelona and bartaco um, so there was four brands. so it was Duff Frisco's visco's grill Bartaco, yeah. and Barcelona were all underneath the Duff Frisco's arm okay um, they ran it for a period of time and during that time they they changed the culture um, the culture what made barteca incredible that that Andy who you spoke to and Sasha and Scott had, had, had built and Jeff Kakara came in afterwards like they built this amazing operating system that was just the culture drove the results. And Bartaco changed it all. Um, and it really, it really changed the trajectory. So when we were able to get it back, um, you know, Scott did a podcast. If you look it up, a, one of his first podcasts, before I took the job, I listened to it. He goes, Scott, why'd you come back? And he goes, so I was fucking pissed off. <laughs> and he's like, why? And he goes, they took our baby and they ruined it. And I wanted to come back and make it what I know it could be. And it was, and to me, it was really powerful. I'm like, man, that's, that's, that's such an, a powerful message that you're not coming back because you want to run a bigger company. You want to make the money. It's because you want to make change to make it the brand that you knew and loved.
2: So Del Frisco existed. Yep. Del Frisco in 2018 purchased Bar Taco in, um, Barcelona, Barcelona. Yep. Um, they Del Frisco no longer has Bar Taco. That's correct. When did when did Bar so is Bar Taco standalone?
1: So Bartaco standalone. So okay. El Caraton bought um, the the full portfolio. All four concepts. Got it. Um, and then twenty four hours after they bought, they took the, the steakhouse brand and they sold Matilman the Fertita. Okay. So Barcelona and Bartaco were part of El Caraton, P local PE from here in Connecticut. Um, and then Bartaco actually got slid underneath uh, Uncle Julio's, a brand that they had already had because we didn't have a corporate infrastructure built yet. Yeah. And when they got Scott to come back, they said, "Great." So you Scott can, was, um, he was the COO and founder, COO of Barteka and the one of the co-founders of Bartaco.
2: Yeah. Um, the and he he started. He was he was um, Anthony's partner, right? For, uh, Forsheimer.
1: Andy's partner was Sasha, and okay. Scott was their COO.
2: Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. I'm trying to. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of, yeah, moving, a lot parts of moving parts. Um, so how did did you just approach Dell? or wait, whoever had owned it last before the, the culture fell apart and said, yeah. I want to
1: buy this back from you? Um, I don't know the story how Carrot didn't get involved with the purchase. I know that Del because wanted to sell. Okay. Um, they, that was, they, they weren't very shy about, about making that vocal. Um, am- so uh, is there a, le-
2: sorry, keep going. Then yeah. I'll
1: ask my question. Um, you know, they were, they were public and they wanted to go back to being private. Um, this was the opportunity. And Carrington really wanted the Bartaco brand. This was the growth vehicle. This was the one that they were really excited about. Um, so they, they kind of took a plunge on multiple concepts, offloaded the ones that weren't of intrigue to be able to, to take on you know Bartaco and really help us grow into the future.
2: Because Bartaco, I mean, um, Barcelona was a killer concept. That's yeah, what, that's what they started on, right? Yep. Um, I feel like Bartaco is almost like the one that kind of was the one that like caught fire fast though. Yeah. And and showed the most scale for like, the most promise for scale, four legs. Yeah. I mean, tacos were hot at this time. They still are. Yeah. Um, What exactly, you said it was culture that went wrong? Yeah. Is there like a, like from your perspective, knowing the story, where do they go wrong with the culture? How did the culture start to, I guess, fall apart?
1: Yeah. I mean, the one thing, the, the first three words of our culture statement is we are intolerant. Um, and for us, it means that if something's 99% right, we focus on the 1% we can improve on. Okay. And that was always our rallying cry. Like, we do what we say and we say what we do. A lot of restaurant groups out there talk a big game and, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do this. At the end of the day, they don't do it. Yeah. For the culture at Barteca, and what we've brought back is that. That's the heart and soul of what we do. We're intolerant about anything less than perfection. Um, and we we do what we say and we say what we do. Like, we don't, we try not to bullshit, basically, right? Like, we, we get to work. Um, and during that time, there was a lot more laxed. The menu expanded. It got too, it, it got too complicated. Bartaco Taco is about being an escape. It's about really good food done really simply, really well. Um, the, the food was created by the Barcelona chefs who were great chefs. They, they used them yeah. to kind of help curate the original menu. Um, and they got away from who we were. And what they didn't realize is like, that's what guests love. They love the simplicity and the beauty of it and they love the experience and they tried changing all that thinking that they could bring in a miso cod yeah. like it's just not who we I were I mean it's
2: kind of a genius model where you have elevated tacos, right? Yeah. Uh, high quality chef driven tacos. Um in in a time before I, I think the, the big narrative now is how can we how can we streamline process using technology but you guys weren't even really using technology. You're using a piece of yeah. paper yeah. and a pencil. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of like you didn't take the the service out of it? But you you made the process of ordering unique. So you had a unique selling proposition. It was kind of fun, you know? And you also made it so you could probably get by with with a lot less front of house support. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So almost like what QSR codes are doing now. That's um, it. But you were doing with pen and paper. Yeah. And I was curious when I came here, I was like, I wonder if they're sticking with the old traditional way of pen and paper. Uh, in a world where you can replace that process with a QR code. But like it almost feels like the pen and paper was a part of the brand, a it, part of the experience.
1: It definitely was. And we've, we've changed. We still have the pen and paper. They're, yeah. they're still there. Yeah. Um, but, it's, but it's is a, this what
2: you're talking about, where you said it was a part of the experience, of so people were coming to experience that? And did they get away from doing that?
1: We didn't get away from it. When, when COVID hit, basically, everybody, you know, QR codes we thought were dead came back, right? Yeah. They're, they're now very much so part of our lives. Yeah. And... When we leaned into QR and we're working with a company called OneDine, they've been amazing partners for us. Um, we realized that it wasn't just a QR code to look at a menu; that, that a guest could actually interact, order, and it could be a really great experience. When you think about from a guest point of view, we looked at this opportunity and said, "When you're sitting as a guest, there's nothing worse than wanting another beer, or if you've got screaming kids, you got to pay your check, yeah, or or whatever. Like you want to control those those moments." Um, at your fingertips, right? Yeah. Push a button, I want a drink. Yeah. Uh, it's instant gratification. That's what we're all getting used to. Right. And on top of it, what we also realized was that the server, right, you, your your experience is only controlled by a server and how much time they have. Now what we did is we removed servers from the equation. Guests can scan right in. We call it on-demand use of hospitality. You start your profile right there and you can order as you see fit. We're a tapas style so you kind of order food as comes as it goes. And we created this new position called service leaders which doesn't exist in the industry. It's It's a blend between a server and a manager and they're salaried and they're, they're bonused and they've got, you know, zones. Where was this position when I was still working in the restaurant? Right? See, and can come, come to Bartaka. Um <laughs> And the idea behind it was that they've got these zones similar to like what a manager might have before, a little bit smaller, but their only job was to create the experience and engage with their guests. There was nothing else they had to do. Yeah. So, the guest was controlling all the ordering. So there was no more screw ups of like, you heard me on
2: podcast. i going back to work. Right. <laughs> the that, that sounds like a, it's right up my
1: alley. I would love that. It, it was great. And it's worked out. And the thing that's amazing is really, as we came out of COVID, right? So I joined as we were coming out of COVID, the brand, we have the highest guest sentiment we've ever seen. I mean, we're, we're, we're at a four, seven, three out of five, which for multi net brands, you don't hear. We have rising employee sentiment. Um, we've got amazing sales. Like, it's also working, and the guest is is loving it because these people actually have time in the restaurants now to truly engage. So they're yeah. not busy ringing an order or going back to run food or like all the things that take you away from creating an experience. Now your only job is to just go in and get to know Eric and Anthony and actually yeah. sure
2: have fun. You just pay attention and just be available. Right? That's it. And just scan the room. Like it sounds like one of my favorite roles in the restaurant industry is. It sounds. I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but it was. <laughs> it's host. I love being the it's host. Great. I mean, and ironically, I'm a host to this day. That's I mean, it. Uh, Same thing, right? Yeah. You know, but like, it's, it sounds like you've kind of created a glorified host position where a good host. Yes. That's what they're doing. They're scanning the room. They're you're, looking. They're, they're looking to put out fires before they start. are absolutely. And, right. and it sounds like that's what is a server is for you now. Like you're obviously running food too. You're answering questions. Yeah. You're being personable. Um, but we're creating more hosts.
1: Yeah, it's like it's like you've got a maitre d in every section in your restaurant. Yeah, like a really good maitre d. And I mean,
2: honestly, like again, I'm beating up on myself, but like I was somebody as a server, I was never good at, or even working in the kitchen, working the line. You give me like ten things to remember, I start to go downhill. Or five things to remember, it's I start tough. to go downhill fast. Like yeah, my my depth of memory is not good for short short term, and memory. most people aren't. But where I'm going with this is when you when you change the process to be more inclusive for people who might not have a good like memory, like like some servers do, and be able to like remember an order. Who people who might make a lot of mistakes because I just I would make so many mistakes. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just yeah. being honest. Um, but now you get to focus on like the human element of just yes. like being a person and like running food and like is your glass half empty like a little stuff like that
1: it was great and what it also allowed us to do which we're super proud of is now without servers we're a fully pooled house yeah so yeah. all of our staff every employee makes the same amount of money per hour everyone front wow. of house back of house the tips are shared by well, everybody I'm,
2: I'm, i'd be surprised if you weren't making more because now you're splitting oh it. they definitely are yeah they so you're, definitely are. You don't have to pull it with as many people.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, we've got people. Our average pay is about twenty-four bucks an hour during season. We got some people making forty dollars an hour. It's wow. incredible. So dishwashers that have always been underpaid for years in our business, yeah. right, under undervalued, underappreciated. I go to making thirty dollars an hour. They're quitting second jobs now, which wow. to us are making this great living wage, and that that's the real internal impact, yeah. right? We're their, the guest well, it helps that is, you're a killer
2: brand that's always busy. Too. Sure, it helps, but
1: but you gotta have good people to do that, right? Yeah, and yeah. We're, we're we're attracting great people because realizing like, wow, they're really that money is really being shared where it should be. The back yeah. of us has been neglected for decades. Yes. Yeah.
2: So you came on in 2021. Yep. Had Scott taken over at that point? Yep. He was okay. already
1: he'd already been there for I think almost two years. Okay. Cool. Yeah.
2: So it was a real short lived period from 2018. He two years. When did they give it back? When did they?
1: I think it was only a under year? two years. I think oh, it was yeah. it was short. It, was it came a, on twenty one. It was very rapid. <laughs> um, I mean, any
2: other like where where is Bar Taco today? Like what what are the challenges Bar Taco is seeing today, and how are you how are you addressing those challenges?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's two major challenges that we have. I think one, I think both of them are probably similar to everybody else. But we've become such a tech forward first for company. We have so much data, uh, and it's understanding the best way to use it. And a lot of times, I think what happens when you lean to tech is most places that lean to tech, you lose the hospitality, you lose the engagement piece. So you've, you've been here for a year and a half. Yep. Has there been a lot of new tech that you've adopted in that time? Uh, we've evolved a lot within there, like within OneDine, constantly finding things to be better. We've within OneDine, is that the uh, OneDine is uh, the company that does our QR dining? Got it. That's right. Um, we've brought on a bunch of other companies, whether that's something from Compology who actually measures our trash can. Usage pickups frequency. We we got them from McDonald's. Um, Seven shifts we're using, which um, helps us with employee sentiment and scheduling and communication. One huddle, obviously, we talked about as a great new partner for us. So we've been we're constantly looking for new thought partners and new innovators in the tech space. It's what we we love being a beta client. Yeah, Um, like people are like, oh, we're just we're just new. It's like great. We love talking to you. Where
2: do you go to find new tech? Like, what what sources are out there that are Bringing these resources to your attention. Yeah, there's
1: a handful. We just at Mertech, which is a, a technology conference for unit Restaurant Group. Um, part of it is people reaching out to us. They're like, hey, we just want to give you a demo because we know that you guys like this. Yeah. And there's referrals. You know, it's you know somebody, I know somebody, and they start connecting. And, and we try to do demos of everything that we can. And we've probably done every demo of so many different tech platforms out there because we want to see what's out there. Even if we don't use them, there's something valuable you're educating
2: yourself in the process.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that that's been one component is like that data of like how do you really take what you need and, and not get distracted by all the other well things that was that are my follow up
2: question is like how do you how do you decipher between this will actually make an impact well this will move the needle versus that's noise you know there's no perfect science to it yeah.
1: um, I wish I wish there was a, a way to make me sound smarter than I mean I it's I one am. of the reasons why I started <laughs> this podcast is because
2: it's like even just looking into what it takes to start a restaurant you start like plotting these paths you can take yeah like the of what makes sense for me and my model and there's this solution and that solution and which POS yeah. and which labor management and like, it's like, the the process of just trying to find the the, the the right or best tool, the best ROI is so overwhelming. Oh, it is. And it's one of the reasons why like I, I asked the question about technology because I, I can get a database of like, word of mouth, like referrals, like, and then just follow the clues. Yeah. Right? Um,
1: yeah. I think for us, it's like, What problem are you trying to solve or what problem are you trying to make better? And like we start there and it's like, okay, if we were able to incorporate tech to help solve that problem or to help make that experience better, what would it look like? And that's why we like these ground up companies. We're like, hey, this is what we're trying to do. We just had a demo today with someone and we're like, we're trying to do this. Like, oh, I love that. We could think about that with you. So we want thought partners that we don't even, the tech might not even exist for what we're trying to solve for, but that's what helps us stay on the forefront of the industry. So we're looking at the challenges that we have either from, hey, this is a time suck. Hey, this is inefficient, Or wouldn't it be great? <laughs> like, yeah. you know, pie in the sky. And that's kind of helped us either get connected with, oh, these people are already doing it. That's cool. Let's talk to them. Or they're not doing it, but they'd be intrigued to do it. And we've aligned ourselves with partners that like to think that way.
2: Yeah. Um, so you started talking about, um, you mentioned OneDine, mm-hmm. um, which is the QR. There's are so many QR solutions out there right now. Yep. I think this is a perfect example of what was it about One dine that thought this is best for us?
1: Yeah. At the time, they were really small. They didn't have a, a company of our size. Um, we basically said, if you're willing to work with us and customize the way we want it and put up with a 1,000 trouble tickets a day, we're going to help you know broadcast to the world how great you guys are and you getting a 20-something unit brand is going to be able to increase your
2: revenue to yeah, attract more time. And, and it worked
1: phenomenal. Resources. They've been amazing and... They worked with us on evolving the system. Yeah. It almost is like we have our own, you know, internal POS without having our own internal. POS. Well, that's what,
2: that's what I was thinking. Like you kind of hacked the whole like because you, you, when you were with the the uh, bird, what was bird the? call? Thank you, bird call. Um, you did it all in house. Yes, but you found a, kind of a way to circumnavigate where if you can find a company that's small enough, and that if you you come in as a big enough organization that has influence, yes, and they're willing to custom. Basically they become your in house technology because they're customizing it for you and then repurposing and reselling it to other restaurants. That's exactly right. It. Or um, that right
1: size. Like yeah. If you get too much bigger, it's it's we have the right?
2: beyond that you have we have industry recognition because of what you know I think the story behind bar tacos is really inspiring. What they what those guys, Scott and um yeah, it's amazing. did. Yeah. Um, so what is it about one dine that is unique versus other QR
1: options. What is it that they built around your unique needs? I think for us, they've been the whole way the platform kind of works and flows. They've been able to work off of our style of service. One of the challenges are with our style of service is again, it's a tapa style. It's not like, hey, I'm going to put my order in appetizer, entree, dessert. It's constantly going. I'm going to order more tacos. and am having like, it's it's. There's no roadmap to it, and they've been able to create a way to make that really easy and frictionless. And that's been a big word we've tried to use is how do you make it frictionless. Um, So I think that's been the big, the big lean for them. I think the experience when you're actually on the actual program, you know, you've seen them out there and some of them are really janky and some are really hard to, to navigate I think ours is really clean. We try to make it really concise, kind of like our food, like on yeah. purpose. Um,
2: now, is the experience of ordering through the app like so? You, you click, you, you scan the QR code, or redirects you yep. to a page. Mm-hmm. The process is it like it was when you were using pen and paper? Is it very similar for your consumer? To very similar. Be okay.
1: Very similar. And if people are uncomfortable with it, we we call it push the paper. We're like, hey, you can still go the old school way. Yeah, it hasn't gone away. You still
2: see there's pencils on the table.
1: Yep, they're still there. So yep. we haven't taken it away because some of our legacy you know guests. That's just. That's the way they want to interact that's a with part the brand of the and that's okay. That's yeah. great. Um, but when they fi- most people when they find the ease of using QR, and the nice part is your credit card information you put in out of the gates. So when you're done, you just walk out. Yeah, um, you know you can you can close your tab, adjust tip. But point is, like everything's already there, and then that becomes your wallet. So now if you fill out a survey with us, you get what we call a taco token. Thanks for filling out a survey. And it sits in your in uh, attached to your phone number or credit card now. So now nice. you come in, pops up like a little little Mario get your tacos, one up, <laughs> get out. <laughs> pops up. Yeah, and yeah. you're good. Efficiency um,
2: seamless, you could say.
1: Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it, right? Um, so to us it's it's we think it's it's really, really great for the guest.
2: Yeah. And this compost company, um, Compostology, is that what it was? Compology, yeah. Compology. Yeah. Um I never heard of that. What's that all about?
1: So basically, we have cameras inside of our dumpsters in some of our locations. And one, you can see inside the dumpster. So if our staff isn't breaking down boxes, right, which which therefore increases the amount of pickups you need, yeah. we can see it. It actually monitors for you when it's picked up how full the trash was. So you can see if you need number of pickups increased or reduced. Um, shows if they missed the pickup. Because like most times trash is picked up before anybody's in the building, right? You're not, you don't yeah. think to check. And it also helps our carbon footprint. The big goal we went after is to partner with a company called Green Places to really work on our carbon footprint. We've been buying carbon offsets, but this was a way that if we reduce the number of pickups, we're now reducing the emissions, right? So there's an an environmental piece that was tied to this for us as well. So there's a financial piece, there's an operational piece, and there's an environmental piece. So these guys were really cool. McDonald's uses the technology. That's how we found out. Oh, cool. Um, And it's it's super easy, um, but really, really impactful.
2: So is this more about um, your? Is this more ethics values driven than it is bottom line, or is it both?
1: It's both. I mean, the the fact that we found something that has both is always amazing, right? I mean, it's it's a win win. We got referred to them um, on the emissions side, and then when we actually learn more, like there's so much more than that. Um, So the initial piece was meant to do something, you know. That's great. That that helps reduce emissions, and yeah. we came came with a win.
2: Seven shifts gets a lot of love on the show. Um, past sponsor. I don't think we need to go much deeper, although they are evolving that platform right now. They are. I don't know if you know anything about that. It's the, they want to try to get. They're getting away from being known as a labor management platform, yeah. and I think they want to go more towards like like culture in like HR.
1: Yeah, you, they're trying. They're trying to really become a one stop you know shop, but the. Yeah. Thing that's great they're doing now that they've leaned into is employee sentiment, which we track daily. So every employee when they punch in and punch out, it's like when you go to the airport and there's the three smiley faces in the bathroom. Yeah, same idea. So every day we get a report of what our employees ranked us yesterday in the restaurant. Yeah, they can make comments. So to yep. us, we, it's just as valuable as a guest comment. They're leaning into that plus a whole lot of other things that that um, yeah, I'm really impressed with the future of that company. It kind of reminds
2: me of Mike Ganino and I had him on the show when we wrapped up. I uh, said the the one. The the one most important number to track, on a scale from one to ten, how happy are your employees? Yeah, and if you start tra- and that's ex- essentially what it does is when they clock out, they're forced to tell you if they're happy or sad. Yeah, and if there's anything less than happy, that's your cue to put it like to put a stop to it before it gets worse or before you lose somebody or whatever. It's sure, a, it's super powerful thing to do. Um, let's give one huddle some hub. Yeah. yeah. Because this is a company that was recently referred to us by um, Jack Gibbons from- uh, Yeah, FrontBurner. Front burner. Yeah. Amazing dude. Super Great guy. Knowledge. Yeah. Um, I love when I find technology that, le- like, we're constantly learning more about human behavior on a psychological level, why we are the way we are, yep. how we function, the, the little things that make us tick, right? And when, a, when tech companies- Leverage this new information. I get excited because it's the merge of technology and the human, the human variable. Yeah, and I think a lot of tech, com- tech companies forget to factor in the human variable. Of course. Uh, so, what excited do you about One Huddle? What is One Huddle?
1: So, One Huddle, it's a trading platform. Basically, it's at, at its most simplistic level, if we can put it that way. Yeah. But it, it everything's gamified. Um, the thing that's amazing about them when I when I came on, I, I said to my director Valen I said I have one challenge for you. I need you to find a platform that literally teaches you to learn, like they're digesting information today, which is Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, right? It's scroll, short videos, quick interactions. That's what people want. That's how they're engaging with with the outside world today. Like we need to find someone that's doing that and making it fun. Um, Because part of Bartaka, we say we sell fun. And One Huddle sells this fun gamified piece. So we came across them. We looked at a handful of those out there because some people are trying to kind of recreate that. But One Huddle just... They were that really good thought partner. Like I mentioned before, they were a partner. It wasn't just a here it is, take it. They were, they really felt like a partner, like they were on our team. Um, and the platform, we're just getting started, but I got my first access two weeks ago. I'm like, oh, go on and try it. And I'm like going through. And 30 minutes later, I was like, oh my God, I have been literally on the set for 30 minutes and I was only planning on going for five. Yeah. But they made it fun and like there's a leaderboard. So, you can compete across the country with people in your company. And OneHol's done such a good job, even on their LinkedIn, if you look at them, they post the best uh, like servers out of all their brands cool. on the platform. So they've made it fun, right? Yeah. And it's really digestible, really short bursts of information. And it's not even just for training. It could be for open enrollment. I mean, it could be used for anything. So I think they're really on to something. Yeah. Um, really uh, thoughtful guys.
2: It it kind of reminds me of... so. My past life, I was a commercial pilot. All the testing associated with commercial pilots, the the, the the studying for that to become a commercial, like the test you have to take. It's crazy. It's a lot of studying, but when you take the actual test, it's rogue memory. Like there's it's called Gleim, G-L-E-I-M, I think is how you spell it. It's like a this, pub. I don't know if you call it a publisher, but it, they, they, they put out basically every question that you could possibly be asked on the test with multiple choice and and you would read like a short segment on like the on the actual information that you're being tested on like like educational like like I don't know maybe like 10 pages of like like essay paragraphs yeah you're educating yourself but it's followed by the test the the literal test the section where you go through and you just answer the questions and if you do it enough if you just, so you like, don't yeah. have to read the sections. You already know the answer. You just go to the back and start taking the test. Yeah. And then you see how you did. I did a bad job. I got a 60. Better take it again. I got a 70. Better take it again. Just I got an going. 80. And eventually, you get a 100 on that thing. Yeah. And when you go to take the test for real, you know the answers. Yeah. And it's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. And it the thing is it works. I became a commercial pilot. That's how I it works. <laughs> because I took these tests and yeah. I knew the answers, you know? Yeah. It's um, repetition. But, but it's huge. It, the whole process like there's a name for it. I can't remember, but it's like don't educate them, just ask the, just give them the test. Yeah. And then every time they take it they try to do better. And it becomes a game against yourself. Then you see how you compare to other people, but most importantly the information is sticky because that that process of trying to beat yourself and memorize the answer actually sticks with you better than if you read the essay yeah. and took a test later. Yeah, for sure. It's crazy how it's working. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to get that much detail into no, it. No, but
1: it's uh, awesome. They're doing a great yeah, job. They deserve it. It's, they're doing a great job.
2: It's really exciting. And I'm excited to say that they are going to be a sponsor going into Q2 of 2023. So thank you on Huddle. And if you are interested, head over to slash the number one huddle, like, a football huddle <laughs> and um you can learn more over there please use your link because um we're doing a cpa cost per acquisition and like flat rate sponsorship It's something we new, we're trying out cool. But you will support the show if you use our links and thank you in advance um anything we haven't discussed
1: gosh um i mean we've covered a lot of good stuff for yeah, sure i mean without we, a doubt.
2: we are four minutes from the top of the hour i know yeah. we blocked two hours i want to respect your time okay um i am curious like what about like markets i know one thing i've noticed about bar taco wherever i go i see a bar taco like i always see the bar ta- i'm like oh there's a bar taco here yeah um like what markets are like are, are you guys looking at right now like where's the growth in this country where's the opportunity
1: yeah i mean it's a blank canvas now which is great we got so yep. many great spots but we're opening in chicago in about a month New market for us. We're opening in Charleston, South Carolina. In I'll a few be months. there next week, two weeks. Nice. We're nice. we're in Bucktown, up in the northwest of nice. Chicago. Um, we're looking at Charleston. Um, we're expanding some footprints in, in cities like Boston and Tennessee, where we're already uh, have a good kind of base, and we're expanding from there. But we're looking all over the place. I mean, we're mm. we're not objected to any area. We, we're we're a good East Coast base because that's kind of where our our that's home true. is. But we've got Madison, Wisconsin. We've got Colorado. So we're looking um, both to expand existing markets and answer of one maybe two new markets a year um, based on really kind of what what uh, our clientele kind of tells us yeah um, similar to you with your listeners Yep.
2: is there anything that's near and dear to your heart a subject that's near and dear to our cause an issue something that you want to bring awareness to before we go to the speed round
1: well that's a great question um, you know i th- I think to me um, the topic of mental health has been so big in today's world, but in the restaurant business it's been so much more real than it's ever been. Mm. Um, I've had more and more employees, you know, seeking help with you know whether it's resources, someone to talk to, counseling. Um, people leaving the industry because of honestly, the, the guests are so tough, entitled. Um, entitled it's a great way to put it. That yeah. they're literally breaking these people down. Yeah. Um, why do you? Why is it that we got here? You know, I think people. I really think the the power of like YouTube and Google created people that think they're more educated than they are. And yeah. I don't mean that to, to knock everybody, but everybody's a chef now, Yeah, right? Everyone's a chef. Um, but they don't know what goes into being a chef. I mean, yes. it is such a thankless, hard job. And they you hear it enough, and it just breaks you down. And it's so sad, because people in this business, they're here because they love people. Yeah. And then the same people break them down. It's,
2: I think the industry's a little guilty of conditioning the consumer, too. I think for, that's fair. For the longest time, we, we literally, like... The customer is always right. The customer is always right. And it's more hospitable to go out of your way to to do more outrageous things. There's a a book out there called Unreasonable, you know, Unreasonable Hospitality. Great book. And I think it is a great book. And I think there's a lot of truth to those things. But at the same time, I think it's a double edged sword. Sure. Because we're conditioning the consumer to literally act so unreasonably. Like we're being unreasonable, and they're thinking that unreasonable behavior to their needs is standard I feel like it should be but at the same time they could show some gratitude. You're absolutely right.
1: <laughs> you know like Yeah. I, what's like what's going through your head? I don't want to put words into. Your no, head. you're absolutely right. I mean it's listen everybody's money is the same color green and yeah. not everybody thinks that way. But yeah. I think you're right. It's it's we've tried to create an environment where we do something special for a guest and go above and beyond. Just like Will Goddard yeah. says in his book, right? The reference. But when you do that, now somebody else has to do something more. And before you know, it, like you said, we've created this monster that <laughs> Like the guest is now expecting it. I mean, I think years ago, years ago, when getting an ice cream for free was a big deal on your birthday, right. like, oh my god, what? Uh, and now it's like, you don't give me something free on my birthday, like, how like, dare you? And how did you not even know it was my <laughs> Literally. birthday? Literally. Yeah. And it's. I think you're right. I think. I think there's part of it that we have created a beast that. Yeah. It's hard to tame because if you tame it, and someone else is is feeding it, where are they going to go? They're going to yeah. go. Where they're being fed. Well, the, the same. Like, and I think this is a big of the reason. Like,
2: a big part of the reason why I hated bigger corporations because they were so focused on like the bottom line long term that they know that they they could give food away for free for sure if there was something like oh just give it to them for free just give it to them for free and the consumer was just like i'm not thrilled about this yeah i'm um, i don't think i should pay for it sure. and and that became normal sure did you know and the only people that are really like the restaurant industry i feel like it's just it's death by a thousand cuts
1: it, it is and I think, now, and now anybody with a pen and paper is a critic, yeah, so that 's the other thing you fear is yeah if i don 't go above and beyond for that guest, they can yeah. go on all these review sites, and that 's what people believe, so instead of talking
2: about what 's wrong what 's yeah. the answer what 's the, the what 's the solution? How do we move beyond this?
1: I think at the end of the day it 's just making sure that your staff is always taken care of in the restaurants and they 'll take care of the guests yeah. and we went to the point I think where we didn't even take the staff into consideration yep. and they just felt slighted. And at some point you got to make sure that they're listening. They're in a space where they're challenged, yep. right? But very heavily supported as well. Um, I think that's huge. And I think we're, we're getting back to that. I really do. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to be the key to really keeping this at least in <laughs> somewhat of perspective.
2: I agree. When I think we have to make an effort to educate the consumer. For, For sure. sure. For sure. Yeah. Awesome stuff. On, on a more personal level, how have you transformed? Who are you today? The man you are today versus the man you were when you were bright eyed and you just got into the session?
1: um, that is a phenomenal question. Uh, I'm much more humbled, (laughs) much more humbled. Um, have, have gained a lot more humility in my career. And you just realize how many amazing people are out there. And and you realize really what your cause is for. You know, a while ago I was, I was a, a, a spoke and a clock, and now I realize that I'm the guy winding it. I'm the one that, that's got to make sure that everything's where it needs to be, and make sure everyone's taken care of. And I've got a bigger purpose than just me. Yeah, I've got a purpose to my guests, my staff, the environment, my family, like everything. It's you kind of. I feel much. Uh, I feel like I've got much more internal purpose than I ever did years ago. I love it, man! Awesome stuff.
2: One more quick break to thank our sponsors. And we're gonna bust out a speed round.
0: Perfect. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts and seats, and that's not it. that's rsp for restaurant systems pro RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash rsp we're back
2: and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success it's discipline by far yeah what is your biggest weakness uh patience nice i'm actually gonna go back to the first question i struggle with discipline sometimes i have to admit i'm I'm way better than i used to be but (laughs) like how did you improve your discipline
1: uh, I use a thing called a full focus planner. Okay. So every day I have to write my top three disciplines that I need to complete and that is just it's that routine every single day. Yeah. And every night before I go to bed, I set my dad for tomorrow and it's just Damn, it's, those yeah. are the two things I've started
2: doing that help. It's so it's such a,
1: a big help, man. Living
2: on a list, yep. prioritizing your list, yep, and winning tomorrow today.
1: Yeah. Very well said.
2: Yeah. And uh, it's six o'clock reminder. What are you doing tomorrow? It goes off every day. Yeah. At the end of my day. It's super powerful. I'll thank you for getting the detail. Uh, what is one thing you feel, um, sorry, what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're growing your team, the interview process?
1: I look for humility. Mm. Well, do do know I if somebody's humble? To me, it's about I ask for previous experiences where they've gone through a learning lesson and what they did or when they've gone through a rollout of something new that they didn't really support. I want to see if they realize that there's knowledge to gain. Yeah. I want to see if they've used their network to go out there and actually learn something more or if they're just thinking that they've already got all the answers.
2: Do you think we live in a world that doesn't reward humble people?
1: A thousand percent.
2: I feel like <laughs> this is something I struggle with. I was raised to be humble and just to do the job and to, and to not expect. Yep. But I feel like we live in a world, unless you're doing those things, social media, you know. Makes it hard. Point, yeah, like how, how can you be humble and have a social media presence at the same time.
1: I think you just got to realize <laughs> that, that half of it's fake, right? It's like, you know, it's... But
2: we know... Oh, don't even get me started. Yeah. I'm, I'm backpedaling out of this conversation. Uh, what is your
1: um, biggest challenge today? I think today is uh, acquisition and retention of great people. Mm. How are you overcoming it? Uh, that's It's a laundry list, but we're doing a lot to really understand the employee journey. I'll leave it at that. For sake of another conversation,
2: <laughs> share one code of conduct or behavior, a core value you teach your team. Um,
1: so, to me, it's funny we've talked about today. It's the power of three. You can do three things really well at one time, and yeah. you've got to be able to know that they're the most important three. That's it.
2: I, I preached every day. Beautiful. Uh, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something common throughout the throughout your four, four walls, not common throughout the industry.
1: You know, it's sad to say this, but for us, it's that. You, you go above and beyond for your guests no matter what, and that doesn't seem like it's uncommon, but it is today. People are stopping to really go above and beyond that if we screw up, we'll buy someone's dinner at another restaurant if it's not right because we want to make sure the guests realize that we care that much.
2: I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must read to make us a better person or a restaurant owner? You
1: mm-hmm. mentioned it. Will Goddard's book, Unreasonable yeah. Hospitality," is, is killer. I've so I've tried good. to get him
2: on the show. Uh, his the, the I don't know if it's a publicist or the speaker he works with. You have to have like millions of followers. I feel like, and he's also working through Gary V now. Yeah, it's the same yeah. person. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I gotta, I gotta keep barking up that tree because he, I, got, he got too big. He's, 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 earned it. That's for sure. Yes, that's that is for sure. Um, Will, if you're listening to this, <laughs> I'm sure you are. You're welcome to be a guest on the show. Uh, what is one thing you feel restaurateurs uh, don't do well enough or often enough?
1: I think back to my point earlier is like they don't say who wrote the rule. Like, they're just taking the same thing, rinse and repeat, and try to make it a little better. Break it apart and make something new. Get yeah. creative. Like, it's just not happening enough.
2: Yeah. No, it's true. Like, we've been, it's like, we go to work for the best. We see what they're doing. We take that and we go apply it to a new concept. Yeah. We, we, we're, we've we been afraid to break the model. You're you absolutely know? right. I think it's a really exciting time right now to be in the restaurant
1: industry. I agree.
2: Um, what is one piece of technology, we've really kind of dissected this a lot already, but yeah. feel free to echo something um, that you've recently adopted and that's having a huge impact on your business?
1: Um, I mean, one nine's not recent. It was great. But I think um, a company called Retenza, it's a exit interview software oh, and cool. analytics. Um, we've done a lot of that to really understand how we can how we can improve the uh, internal culture. So that's been a really big help for us. Retenza. R-E-T-E-N-S-A. Yep. Beautiful. Thank you for all. That. I love
2: new companies. Um, I mean, the way I look at these technology companies is, listen, you could build technology from scratch like you did with your restaurant. It takes a lot of energy and bandwidth, and you're. I personally think you're better off taking a tech, a, a solution that's been invented and plugging it in than trying to build a tech solution from scratch. It's hard. Um, it's yeah, because we're not tech people. Like we're restaurant people, um, and I see technology as just being systems that you can just plug into your business instead of trying to build it from scratch. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I put a lot of emphasis on technology is because I believe in systems and processes and procedures. And for sure. We're surrounded by them, right? We are. Uh, this is the last question. You ready for it? Yeah. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, in your restaurants will be lost with your departure with the exception of three pieces of wisdom that you can leave behind for the good of your, you know, your legacy and for the good of humanity. What would those three pieces of wisdom be?
1: It's a phenomenal question. Thank you. Um, I have to
2: admit that I did steal this question from another podcast. It, that's
1: a good one to steal. Um, one would be, no one will remember what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. I love that. Maya Angelou. Uh, yeah. um, number two is, uh, gratitude turns what we have into enough. Hmm. Um, the third one is a mistake made twice as a decision. I love that, man. Beautiful stuff. Thank
2: you so much. I've really enjoyed today's conversation. Oh, me too. Thank um, you having um, me. You're worth the three-hour drive down here for sure. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, and we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. I'm really trying to remove myself from the decision-making process of sure. who do we make an example of. I, really, I, I love this idea of success recognizes success. And I think the industry should be steering the ship as to who I'm making an example of. So who do you sure. respect and admire and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made? Absolutely.
1: Us um One of my mentors, Jeff Kakar, actually works with Jack who you mentioned. Um, he's a phenomenal leader, has coached me through a lot. Um, just a really incredible human being.
2: What restaurant is he with?
1: Um, so he's with Burner.
2: Okay. Is, is he? But he's not with uh, any one of their their concepts? Uh,
1: well, he does, he does four. Uh, he oversees all of them, but 60 okay. Vines is his primary concept. But. Jeff is great, and it sounds like I had introduced to my two former CEOs, both Michael and and Peter from uh, Birdcall. So yeah, they'd man, both be a uh, good guest for you to meet.
2: I'd love that, and they're based out in uh,
1: Denver. One's Denver, and Michael's in Las Vegas. you are talking with Mina.
2: Yeah, oh man, I'd love to make that happen. Um, we have yet to be to Las Vegas yet, too. Well, there you so go.
1: It's a good excuse beautiful. to go. Thank
2: you so much, dude. This Thank has you. been such a great time. Uh, how can we connect with you? If we maybe want to come join your team, maybe we've been inspired by you. Maybe we're in New England. South Connecticut, East Connecticut or Southwest Connecticut, Yeah. Right? Um, what's the best way to connect if we want to follow? Yeah.
1: Uh, I mean, you go right to our website. There's an application right there. My email is uh, avalletta at bartaco.com. Feel free to reach out. Happy to hear any perspective, anything you want to, uh, to join with us or partner with us. We're, we're always anxious to uh, look for great people beautiful and and this is episode
2: 976 head over to restaurant slash 976 we'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as any links any tools or services recommended or books recommended and how to connect with anthony over there again just thank you so much for taking the time to share your story your knowledge and your mentorship my friend there is no questioning you are
1: unstoppable thank you cheers great to be here There
0: is another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable.
2: Anthony Valletta, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your unique perspective. And I don't always get to talk to presidents or COOs, people who make a career out of doing this work. And I I should probably do it more often because this was a great interview. And also, man... Anthony was so generous with his network. I can't wait to follow up on those leads. Uh, Thank you so much for being willing to make the introductions, too. Super grateful. Awesome stuff. And if you are enjoying this podcast, please support the show. Thank you in advance if you do. There's a ton of ways you can
0: support the show. One way you can support the show right now is by heading over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable.com. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Sam Hall has been doing a great job over there creating shorts
2: uh, like YouTube shorts and just honestly chopping down our two hour long episodes into much more digestible content. So uh, if the two hour long episodes are too much for you, too bad, they're not changing, but you can get highlighted versions over at YouTube. So go check that out. Thank you in advance. And you can support our sponsors. You can use our affiliate links. Actually, speaking of sponsors and affiliate links, we're going to be partnering with One Huddle. Uh, really excited that Anthony has some great things to say about them today. Uh, if you're interested in One Huddle, head over to slash One Huddle. Then that's the number one huddle, like a football huddle. And uh, they are going to be a sponsor, but we're also doing like a hybrid where uh, if you use our link, they'll pay us an additional revenue on top of that. So in order for us to get our o- ROI on this sponsorship, please, please, again, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. Thank you in advance. Uh, really s- supports the show using those links. Uh, you can also leave a one star, one star. Please don't leave a one star review. Leave a five star review over on iTunes and Stitcher Radio uh, that Stitcher Radio, Spotify, wherever. If there's a chance to leave a review, please leave one. Thank you in advance. And we cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi at Sumadre Podcast for the copy and podcast editing. And thanks to Sam Hall for the videography and social media. That's it for today. Until next time. Peace out.